pay the iron price. I have to pay the iron price. I'll never respect you while he lives in. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain and hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond, and my bond is my word. Valar to Harris, all men must serve. See, as a raven flies, and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must die. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast by BaldMove.com. We're the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. Tonight, we're covering episode 402, The Lion and the Rose. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And uh, I don't have a lot of stuff to talk about pre-recap. Actually, I do. Okay. We've got our feeds issue with iTunes totally resolved. There is the one true feed. <laughs> All the pretenders have been put down. Yep. Uh, with a series of dwarven combatants, it was. Uh, is, is, it's. It's. I don't know why Apple does it that way. It's yeah. kind of insulting. I not to, very efficient. I had to contact them to get our new feed removed. I'm thinking about contacting them to also get Chin's feed removed, <laughs> just uh, to see if they'll do it. Yeah, just to see if they'll do it. All right, let's do it. <laughs> um, so ap- apologies for the confusion, but now there's just the one there. Uh, so if you stumbled upon our website trying to find out where the iTunes feed is, you should be able to search Game of Thrones. We're probably the top three when the top three results. If we're slipping, throwing bald move, we'll be right at the top. Uh, so thanks for following us through that. Um, our, again, our temporary theme continues. Uh, there's the, this is a very divisive divisive uh, issue with our listeners. Some people say uh, we're laying siege to their ears. Some people are loving it. But uh, anyway, it's Aria's Prayer by Dominic Omega. You can get the entire Catch the Throne album, the HBO commission, at soundcloud.com slash catch the throne. Because, again, it will not be here for, for long. As soon as we can find originally licensed music, we're going to be replacing it. Let's get right to The Lion and the Rose because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, Jim. Okay. Uh, the Lion and the, Ro- the Rose is, was directed by Game of Thrones veteran Alex Graves and written by George R.R. R. Martin himself. Wow. The germ climbed up, down from the Iron Throne, took a few weeks off of writing The Wind of Winter, and and uh, wrote this episode. I think he's taken more than a few weeks off. Because, <laughs> you know, he's got nothing better to do. There's no no, mm. no multi-million dollar <laughs> television series breathing down his neck. Uh, got 6.3 million, uh, which is slightly down from last week's 6.64. Hmm. Uh, but that's usually what happens uh, after premiere. And uh, it'll probably stabilize and recover and... and uh, finish off bigger and better especially when people hear that the the real shit happened in season or episode two yeah i was wondering do those numbers count like itunes downloads no. and amazon views i don't even know if it's on amazon i believe how about hbo go i believe it only counts uh the original airing and the uh the second airing on hbo uh two because they do like okay. an encore yeah so they add those up for each of the three time zones, and that's the that's the total listeners. It does include hmm. uh, HBO Go or, of course, online piracy. Or yeah, like yeah. That. I wonder if someone could tell me when the episode exactly comes out on HBO Go because I looked immediately after the episode was over, mm-hmm. and it was there. So I want to know if it comes out. I've day, heard day and date with. I actually the heard episode, sometimes it comes episode. out before. Before? Yeah. Oh, perfect. So I don't even need. So I can watch HBO Go wherever I am. I don't know, because I've never watched it that way. But I've heard there's been sp- huh. some occasions where it's come out, um, like, hours before. I wonder if that's f- people on the, like, West Coast who get it 
on Eastern time because I don't think so. We get three that, hours early. I think people are smart enough to understand that. But anyway, yeah, I think so it, too. <laughs> uh, if, if that's the primary way you watch it, and you've got some hard data on that, uh, let me let us know because I'm kind of curious myself. If I could, if I could time shift my watching and have the instant cast out that much quicker, that would be uh, good for it. Be I, you know, I mean. We could record or when it. I'm on the road, I can could actually record watch it on HBO and Go. drop it right at ten o'clock, and boom, they can't get much more instant than that. Mm, drop yeah. it at nine o'clock as soon as the episode airs, people <laughs> can watch it with us. That's a terrible way to watch Game of Thrones. I don't recommend it. Let's get into the recap. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest, and while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy. We've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We open with the Ramses go Ramses going a hunting, a woman named Tansy. Uh, Ramsey says uh, uh, to his girlfriend Miranda to be very very quiet. Okay, that did not happen. Uh, but they do hunt her down, uh, rip her apart with dogs. What do you think of this scene? What are we What are we learning about the Boltons we didn't know before? I don't think there's a damn thing I learned about the Boltons that I didn't know before, um, except. Maybe who this girl is that's by his side because, well, a I don't think there are any Boltons in this scene, are there? That's true. <laughs> there are yeah, some Snows and some Mirandas and uh, some uh, Greyjoys. Yeah, half Greyjoys, uh, just Grey, no joy, <laughs> <laughs> no joy in there whatsoever. I don't, I don't know. It seems to me like yeah, he's a vicious guy. Uh, scene closed. Uh, I also liked that Alfie Allen is just smashing his portrayal of Reek here because in the book, mm. uh, this is an amalgam of different scenes, but they always mention he has this weird stumbling gait because Ramsey's cut off so many of his toes that he doesn't have much foot stability. <laughs> Jeez, I hadn't even thought of that. And yeah. just kind of he has like this really twitchy, mm-hmm. sallow, malnourished 
behavior now that I think is it's it's great. A uh, long way to go to get to this particular scene or performance, but <laughs> well, I'll save that. I'm going to put a pin in the topic about Theon's brokenness until we get to yeah. the next scene. Those those performances are always the most rewarding when it does take a while to get to them, right? Right. I mean, that's that's what you want to see: character development. I'm that's just the saying point from, of it. <laughs> from a standpoint of the people bitching about continually cutting to the Dreadfort last season for the latest oh, edition yeah. of Theon's humiliation, was it really necessary? Hmm. I don't know. That'll be a topic that we can talk about here in about two or three scenes. Okay. Moving on to the next one, Jamie and Tyrion having some kind of lunch. <laughs> sure. Uh, that's another nice it, smash it, it cut. It includes wine, so we don't know. Could it be breakfast? It's, yeah, why not? You know, Tyrion's a professional drunk, so <laughs> it could be breakfast for all we know. It does contain sausages, which was a nice little mm. uh, smash cut from Theon to the sausage. Yep. wonder how long they're going to keep doing that. Uh, but they're talking, they're commiserating how they're now the dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness as far as their, their three children of Tywin. Um, Jamie is worried that he can no longer protect the king, that he's not really a full knight. And mm-hmm. he doesn't, he, he, he's got this concern about training, because who would he train with? Who can he trust not to blab his big secret? And he thinks, I mean, what do you think his chief concern? He's still Jamie fucking Lannister. There, Lord of the Kingsguard. There are a couple of concerns here. I think a he he doesn't feel like Jamie anymore because he doesn't have his hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, B how can he command respect when these guys know he can't fight and he says as much in the scene. Right. Uh, and C I don't know that he has commanded in the past. Right. And that's a, a good point. I mean, I think he's commanded like on the field. Okay. Uh, but you got to wonder what he is like as a commander. You know, is he more just like I lead by my badass example? Seems like that. That was a vibe. Not I got. a lot of planning. You know, I'm just going to get in my father's vanguard and fuck shit up. Kind of a strategy. <laughs> uh huh. Um, I. The other thing is, I think that there's a little bit of blood in the water aspect here. How so? That you know, a lot of people have a, like a certain amount of contempt. And jealousy, contempt for Jamie as a Kingslayer, and general mm. jealousy of the Lannisters in general. And if it became known that he was helpless as a newborn babe, I think, you know, there's, especially if you were the first one to figure that out and decided to kill him, you would instantly get this huge, like the guy that shot Wyatt Earp or something. Yeah. A, uh, a you, big reputation. You get is. a lot of cachet from being the guy that killed the Kingslayer. Yeah. So, so there's incentive to kill him as well. Right. Now that he's uh, crippled, it's maybe possible. So uh, Tyrion has the perfect uh, solution, which is hiring Bronn. Before we leave the scene, though, I love the Chekhov's wine glass mm. that Tyrion knocks over, spills, and, and or uh, Jamie does with his clumsy hand. Uh, not not coordinated, not used to that, and Tyrion yeah. just lifts it up and pours it on tables like it's just <laughs> wine. Uh-huh. Yet that has so many wine has so many repercussions uh, later on in this in the series. Oh yeah, or, or in this episode rather. There are a couple of other small things in the scene I want to talk about real quick. Go for it. Jamie's hand. Yeah. Beyond belief at this point to me, him being a Lannister, 
is not gold. Tyrion says it is gilded steel. What the hell is happening there? Shouldn't it be gold? I would think that if it was solid gold, it would weigh like 20, 30 pounds. Probably, but come on. And if He's it was, a Lannister. I, it's not that he can't afford it. I know. You can't, like, gold is really malleable, so if it was uh, like a thin shell <laughs> gold for weight, off. it would just deform and, you know, it's very ductile. <laughs> sure. And it clearly can't just be steel. Yeah. Because it's Jamie Lannister. So, guilt, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's I, more I mean, it makes sense, but wood. seeing it, I thought, oh, that's gold. And then when he said it, I was like, that, hmm. It's Again, not very Lannister-y of him. It would be an interesting... It, I mean, it would be a weapon in its own right if it was solid gold. Yeah. It would just basically be a flail. <laughs> Uh, or a mace, rather, attached to his hand. Yeah, imagine a slap from Jamie. <laughs> She'd break <laughs> teeth and jaws. Also, the other little thing, I thought it was just funny that Cersei is now eating a lot of pig. Oh, uh, yeah. Tyrion comments on that. thought that was kind of cool. That's another book detail. Uh, she's really taken to uh, loving the pork and loving the wine since Robert's dead. Yeah. And we see... That's a question the readers are asking about Cersei and her relationship with other people that we'll get to in the feedback section. But I think it's interesting to chart the evolution of her character. Like, you know, what 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 path has she been on since she started to get the things that she wants most? Hmm. Has it been a good path or a bad path? Yeah. Um, moving on to the proper discreet swordsman himself, uh, Bronn and Jamie go to a secluded, I don't know what you would call it, um... Uh, Fighting square by the sea. Uh, it seemed a to just be area. some yeah, kind of balcony, just looking over the sea. It's like right, you know. There's nothing but cliffs around, um, and he assures Jamie that there's no way they'll be discovered because he goes and fucks a Sir Legood's wife down there, and she's Sir Legood or Sir Goodlay. <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. He's Legood. She's Lady Goodlay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he's got thunderbolts on his shield. Anyway, we talked about this in instant cast. You know, Bronn kind of pretty much kicks his ass up and down. Mm-hmm. But it, I do think that Bronn's kind of messing with him. And it's interesting because Bronn's not teaching him swordsmanship so much. Ah, it's just true. giving him practice uh, at, at doing the actual deed. Jamie knows how to do it. It's just his body doesn't yeah. have the muscle memory built up yet. It also makes me wonder... In this scene where Braun is kind of like, oh, best man, best time to attack a man is when he's not prepared. Is Jamie going to be a different kind of yeah. fighter at the end of this? Is he going to fight more like Braun and less honorably? That's a good point. Uh, one wonders how honorably Jamie fight fought in the first place. But, <laughs> sure. But yeah, yeah, certainly Braun can, can teach him a few dirty tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to go around with one of his uh, hunting daggers in the small of his back like Braun. <laughs> Uh, he, at the end, he does seem to be determined to get better, I think. He does. He's like, okay, then, here we go. Yeah, come at me. <laughs> yeah. Come at me, bro. Uh, Ra- we go then to the north of the Dreadfort, where Ramsay comes uh, to re- uh, greet his father and his stepmom, who's riding into the fort. Um, uh, Ramsay's very polite and very courteous to his stepmom and to his lord father. Yeah, he is. Is this Roos? Is that his name? Roos Bolton, yeah. Okay. Uh, I also liked the parallels of Locke and Ramsey, uh, are, are kind of analogous to Benjen Stark and Jon Snow. That like Locke is his favorite uncle. They share uh, dismemberment stories together. Who is Locke? He's the guy that cut off uh, Jamie's hand. Oh, okay. That's his name. I didn't even know it gotcha. until I actually. Uh, I, I'm sure they've mentioned his name, but he's mentioned a couple times. Episodes, so I actually wrote it down. He, sure. Um. 
but I thought they had that similar kind of relationship. It's like a, twi- a funhouse version of the Starks <laughs> or a horror uh, monster, monster. What do you call that? A haunted house version of the sure. Starks. Uh, and then what? In what's kind of a bizarre edit, we go from you know Roos giving instructions about seeing his uh, wife to her quarters and all this to him just laying down and putting his head back against a chair. Oh, and okay. I. I thought that was really weird because there's nothing establishing the where we're at, why he's sitting in a chair. It's very unroost like to just throw your head back and like, ah, turns out that he was going to get a shave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you see Locke, you know, with the strop and all that, but it really threw me and I thought it was, I don't know what you would do better, but it was yeah. an uncharacteristic, I thought sloppy, sloppy edit and transition. Uh, Anyway, Roos just takes Ramsey to task. Totally puts him <laughs> in his place. Said these, you know, this this isn't your banner. These are my banner. You're a snow. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You sh- you shouldn't have treated with uh, the Greyjoys without my permission. Uh, you sh- you shouldn't have hurt uh, Theon because I need him as a hostage and a negotiating tactic. And now you've thrown away a lot of that. And he's right because when we saw Balon didn't give two shits once he found out his dick was gone. Yeah. He's like, well, he's not a male heir anymore, so he's not even really my son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, Ramsey demonstrates the p- potential use of what he's done to Theon when he sits down and offers up his neck for to be shaved mm-hmm. uh, by Theon. And Nice little sentence there where uh, Roos was saying, hey, you're not a Bolton. And he says, when he sits down, Roos looks a little worried, and he's like, what do you care? I'm not a Bolton. And then, to his credit, Roos is like, all right, give him the knife. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair point. <laughs> yep. Uh, but he reveals that uh, Bran and Rickon are not dead. C- can I just say, I had no idea that the two crispy kids that hung up behind Theon last season were supposed to be Bran and Rickon. You I didn't? had no idea. That was actually two seasons ago. Two, two seasons ago. Okay. No uh, idea whatsoever. Interesting. Uh, I wonder if it's because you were bu- bu- uh, binge watching and it just didn't stick in your mind because that's that's a question that's immediately resolved in the next episode. Huh? No, but it was actually I probably wasn't paying of, close enough it attention. Was, it was probably it was something of a cliffhanger. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, um, we, f- we find out that they're not dead because that's not common knowledge. Um, Lockett's tasked with hunting them down. Um, Theon thinks that they might be at Castle Black, and Ramsay <laughs> points out that John's half uh, John Snow's half uh, Stark himself and could be a threat. A lot of process there. Uh yeah. Bran and Rickon have targets painted on their back. We mm-hmm. know Bran is probably safe north beyond the wall, but we don't uh last we knew that Asha was going to take uh Rickon off to one of uh, the the Bannermen, I think the Umbers. Mm-hmm. So he could still be vulnerable and also um Locke going to Castle Black with the idea that John's a threat himself. That could put Castle Black in a very precarious situation. They're yeah. kind of caught between... Stuck between three armies now. You've got uh, Egret and her group right. coming in from the south. The main force is north of the wall, and now you've got these uh, renegade northmen. And the White Walkers. I mean, there there are so many forces converging on Castle Black now. Yeah. Um, but I thought... Here's the thing. I thought this shaving was a very effective demonstration of to the extent that Theon is broken because yeah. in the books we have Theon's internal dialogue about just how pants shittingly afraid huh. and in completely enthralled, but we needed something like this. And 
I don't know that we needed all the scenes of Theon's torture, but I think if, if like, say, half of them were there, people might be questioning about whether Theon would, in fact, not slit Ramsay's throat. Yeah. I, I Looking at the first scene in this episode where they're chasing that girl down, uh, Theon definitely seems bothered by what's happening here. Uh, obviously not enough to step in, and I think he's bothered by um, what Ramsay says here about killing... Ned Stark, I, I think both of those things bother him, but obviously not enough to do anything about it. I, right. And this wasn't a very opportune time. If he kills Ramsay here, Roos jumps in and slices his, well, I was going to say dick off, but mm. I can't do that again. <laughs> right. And I, I don't think, that's the other thing. I don't think Theon's afraid of death. I think he's afraid of more pain. Yeah, like yeah, if he, yeah. if he had a If he had a dynamite vest strapped to him, <laughs> I wouldn't trust him with the dead man switch. Yeah. But that, as you rightly point out, and that's, I think that's one of the, the, the purposes of the scene we saw of Ramsey helping him to escape only to turn him back in <laughs> is that that puts in Theon's mind that I could be tested to my loyalty and be utterly fooled. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the women, like this constantly like playing with your, you, the only thing you can be sure of is that Ramsey will hurt me if I don't do exactly what he'd want <laughs> me to in every situation. Yeah. And even still, he'll probably hurt me anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's not going to take the opportunity to, you know, take revenge because in his mind, this is yet another test and he's yeah. been conditioned just like an animal to respond to the test. So I've kind of come around a little bit on how critical I was of the scenes last, last year, because mm-hmm. again, it's some stuff is very hard to do when you don't have the inner monologues that you've gotten a, a, a piece of written fiction. Anyway, anything else to say? Um, th- there's this very key, uh, ground moat Caitlin. Uh-huh. Or Moat Kalen, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what significance that's going to play, but at the end of the scene, Roos is telling Ramsay to take a force and go up there. Take it for the family. It's currently held by the Greyjoys, the Ironborn. Yeah. And uh-huh. it's preventing... It kind of cuts off... Uh, the bulk of the Bolton forces are south of that location, still in the Riverlands. And mm-hmm. it's kind of um, you know, a fortification that, that, that safeguards the north. Yeah. Along the King's Road. Okay, it was hard to tell that from so he, the map. Yeah, he had this. He had to smuggle himself a, a, a past that in, in his words. So okay, so the North is is the Boltons as long as they can take it. Right, right, right. And it, it seems more difficult than it sounds. It's the same way that Rob was concerned once he was in the campaign in Nor- Riverlands and he heard that Winterfell's been sacked. It's like shit. You know, I need to get. I need. I need huh. Walter Frey to cross and reunite my armies. That's the whole reason the Red Wedding happened. He had to go back with his hat in hand. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to the next scene is very simple. Varys warns Tyrion about Shay. He's found out that uh, his sister knows and that she's going to tell his father. And, um, you know, Tyrion, I guess, assumed that Varys would be loyal to him. And Varys says, nope, I'm not going to lie to your father for you. That's insane. I've got no one to look after me. i got no one to avenge me. <laughs> I agree with him. I do, too. <laughs> no one weeps over a spider, as he said. Mm-hmm. I think we can move on uh, to the, I guess, brunch before the wedding ceremony. And sees, like, I guess you call this a Westerosi wedding shower because everybody's giving Joffrey hmm. gifts. Yeah. Uh, Mace Tyrell, which is Marjorie's father, he's the portly, kind of balding, foppish looking gentleman. Big blue cloak or big blue whatever he's wearing, Moo Moo. Yeah, he looks <laughs> like uh, Shakespeare after he's eaten a, <laughs> yeah. a few mini t- cheeseburgers. <laughs> sure. I thought he's really casted well. 
Because uh, yeah. he's like, if you remember, Lady Olena was talking about him last year, and someone was trying to give him credit about, like, well, he, you know, he ended this the siege of Stor- or laid siege to Storm's Inn, and she's like, laid siege to the banquet table, more like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he gives him a giant cup, um, and the book it details that this has got, you know, seven sides for the seven gods and the seven kings of Westeros, and it's got all of the huh. family houses emblazoned, and it's it's really elegantly. Uh, I just saw the Lannister one. Yeah, this is this one's just uh, you know it's it's all there, but it's not something they they belabor to, to point out to you. But I can yeah. see, I, I saw the Iron Family seal among others. I don't know. Okay, I'm sure it had to have the Dire Wolf, but anyway, uh, we see that Cersei's informing Tywin. We see Shay going about her duties, and she's like, "Yep, that's the whore, the dark haired one right there." He wants him brought to her chamber, his chambers before the wedding to the the Hand's Tower. Uh, Tyrion gives Joffrey a the lives of four kings, which is um, again they didn't go into great detail, but in the book they mentioned that this is kind of like the equivalent of a Gutenberg Bible, hmm. that it's okay. written in, by this famous maester and it's illuminated and there's only like three copies in the entire kingdom that have this particular version and this con- condition. And as he says, it should be required reading for every king. And Joff surprisingly accepts it gratefully. After a stern look from his father, or from his grandfather, rather. Yeah. It, it takes a little Tywin uh, persuasion. Apparently, the Tywin used every ounce of his pers- public persuasion. Because <laughs> uh, that's, so. that's the last bit of discretion we see him show. Yeah. Because then his grandfather gives him his gifts, which is the shorter counterpart to Jamie's sword that he got last... Uh, um, of course, uh, yeah. as the Hound points out, cunts are wont to name their blades. <laughs> okay. He names it Widow's Whale and proceeds to just hack the pieces that extremely expensive, priceless book that Tyrion just gave him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And then it's like you can already see some danger signs when he's like, yep, every time I use it, it'll be like cutting off Ned's head again, right mm-hmm. there in front of Sansa and yeah. Tyrion. Uh, next scene. What What do you think of the name? Widow's Whale. How does that strike you? It's uh, Joffrey's such a poser. Sure. I mean, he's sure. had the fucking lion's claw, lion's tooth, heart eater, and mm. now Widow's Whale. Yeah. And as far as I know, the only blood he shed is a whore that he had someone chained to his bedpost for target practice. Mm-hmm. He is a bully and a coward, and that seems like the type of sword that a bully and coward. Uh, would would name okay what do you think uh if uh, you're right you're right he's a total coward and bully um if it were in someone else's hands i like the name's name widow's whale widow's whale has a a bit of a ring to it yeah and it's it's i'm a sucker for alliteration so widow's whale i got to give him to it for that uh next scene as Probably effective depending on how much you buy the Tyrion and Shay relationship and how much you like Shay. Mm. But it's Tyrion's rejection of her, and he just really lays on the whore stuff thick. You're a common whore. Yep. You're not fit to be my consort, let alone to bear my children. Sansa, my wife, is fit. You know, I've enjoyed you, but now you've got to go. Shay is devastated. Uh, Bronn steps in to take her away. He gets she gets slapped for a trouble. And then in scene, what do you, do you want to talk about this? I don't I, know. I know you're not a huge Shay fan. I think she's a terrible actress, and I, I, in theory, uh, 
like the deepening that they did with her character versus the Shay in the books. Okay. But in practice, I just can't get past uh, the, the, the actress's portrayal of, of such. She's very yeah. Marina Certisy. <laughs> oh, God. And, and all the connotations of that. Do you think so? I think she's much better looking, yeah. I don't think... It's I, the hair, man. I can't get past that 90s hair. Uh, okay. Late 80s, early 90s hair. Fair point. <laughs> I'm just saying that I I don't... A lot of people say that she is very attractive. And, I mean, I'm not saying she's a dog by any means, but, you know, yeah. I think um, Roz had the same problem, that she was not maybe the world's greatest actress, but she was warm to the touch. I just don't find anything about Shay hmm. to be attractive. Her attitude, her accent, <laughs> her loyalty to Tyrion somewhat endearing, but and, and sure, Sansa. Yeah. But other than that, I think her heart, in a lot of ways, is fairly endearing to me. She's not afraid to stand up for her passion. She is feisty too. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm attracted to that. But I think the more I listen to you say that she's not a good actress, and the more I watch these scenes. I'm kind of leaning that way, and I think it would have been a much more effective scene if I had really believed the the crying at the end or or the interactions. I do like how they overlap dialogue. It's, um, yeah, go ahead. Th- that was really good, where, yeah. where she's basically saying uh, she doesn't care about you, and Tyrion's still going on, and she says you don't care about her. It felt very operatic that way. It did. It felt that was really good. And and this scene is is very well done. It I mean, is. the beginning well where, shot, well written. <laughs> where Tyrion's just staring out the window and the curtain is flapping. Mm-hmm. And it's just obscuring him in the shot even. Mm-hmm. Like, that felt very, very cool. And I think that's the other problem. It's like, I shouldn't say that she is terrible, I don't think she's terrible. It's no. just against everyone else. That's the thing. Like playing look at, against Peter Dinklage. Look at like um, you know Sansa Stark. Um, the her the 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 her actress's name escapes me, but you you look at her a, a very young, you know, most of the experience she's had has been on the show portraying mm-hmm. um, breaking down and and you know em- emotional grief like last episode versus yeah. Shay and just like. Again, sometimes less is more. I thought she was just, I don't know, too big hmm. and and too broad. She was it'd be that'd be that would be an acceptable performance on a stage where you're trying to project hmm. out fifty, sixty feet, but in close up, it just seemed too much to me. Yeah, and they do linger on it, I and mean, I feel like we're lingering her. on it. Okay, maybe a bit too much too. Fair enough. Let's Any other on. points on the scene? No. Or all right, let's go. Uh, we go right from Tyrion smashing a wine glass to some good old barbecue in a Dragonstone. Uh, apparently, uh, Melisandre's rounded up some infidels, some people that are still keeping to the old gods, and mm-hmm. just burning them at the stake, including King's old brother-in-law, the Queen's brother. And yeah. the Queen seems crazy as a shithouse hen. Yeah. Everyone in this scene is crazy. <laughs> Except for Davos. Davos is the one guy but, trying to keep it trill. Trying, trying, and he's failing miserably. He's, Come on. This... He scored points with Stannis. Stannis hates this shit. But he's still letting it happen. Stannis is supposedly the king, the rightful heir to the Iron Throne, and he's letting this bullshit happen. But what do you... Okay, because someone had a very good point on Facebook about, you know, you, you saying that you hate magic and you prefer to politics, but... Mm-hmm. Their point was, this magic is politics. Some of it, yeah. Like, Melisandre is using 
some of these parlor tricks and prophecies and stuff as a way to purge dissidents. Sure. She would have done it with Davos. Um, in fact... She tried. In fact, weren't they supposed to be uh, worried about things going on at the wall? It's the, they're, they're still just hanging around Dragonstone. I'm somewhat intrigued by how we've we've come back to find you know finally getting around to catch up with them and they're just still hanging huh. out of dragonstone yeah they should have at least sent a portion of their army probably davos one would think yeah to see what's going on yeah. um I, I don't know it's yes i agree this is magic in service of politics mm-hmm. and that's fine i i get it uh i just have such contempt for what is happening in this scene that it's hard for me to to relax during it. All right. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want me to be really fucking annoyed that Stannis is letting this happen. And, and that the guy who's getting burned alive, his family is standing around, excuse me, letting this happen. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. Well, it's, it's it's also, and cheering it on, not even just letting it happen, but agreeing wholeheartedly, this guy needs to be burned because he worshiped the old gods. That's an interesting statement about religious fanaticism too. (laughs) Tell me about it. You know, uh, Lady Solise, the queen is saying, uh, you know, just like you, you see it's, it's, Actress is phenomenal because she does mm-hmm. that look when the people light in flames. She's like, you know, it's rapturously joyous. Like, I saw their so souls. souls. Yeah. And then you can excuse damn near anything if you're purifying people's souls. It's crazy. It's frightening. Absolute lunacy, in my opinion. <laughs> so let's go. Then we go to the dinner scene where they're talking about true hunger. Salise uh, uh, is fearing for her daughter's soul, Shireen. Uh, she thinks Lady Melisana should go up and talk to her. Uh, Shreen seems pretty smart about this whole religion thing, uh, and asking some pretty insightful questions. What do you think, what do you think the purpose of this is? Uh, counterpoint, point counterpoint, please. You know, like we've got everybody on the beach burning people alive saying this is wonderful. You've got to have at least one person saying this sucks. And Davos has stopped saying that. And I think the daughter, it becomes more effective if someone who, we typically consider, you know, a child who we typically consider to be less thoughtful um, and less understanding points this shit out. You know, sometimes it takes the innocence and the naivete of a child to really get to the point of something. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think you said Davos isn't stopped talking. Well, I mean, he's under pain of death not to oppose <laughs> Melisandre. And I think he's taken as far as he can go because at one point... yeah. He's like, do you have any idea how many ships and men your brother brought? It's like, more than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it also says, like, if this little girl doesn't stop speaking out about it, if she talks to Stannis about it, if she tr- starts trying to convince him, what is Melisandre going to do? Is she going to take this little girl and burn her well, that's at the, the stake? Thing, that's the thing. Will I'll... people get on board with that? That's the thing I was thinking about because I think Lady Solis would be fine with that. But with Stannis, because he's like, you will um, not, you will not... Uh, hit her she's my daughter like well i mean that's protective of her uh i think i think that there we can look at these little dilemmas as kind of moral barometers for stannis's soul sure um not soul in the religious sense but just like you know is he still uh because arguably he's right now westeros's best shot to pull his head out of his ass recognize a true danger and save the realm Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if if your only choice is Joffrey and Stannis, <laughs> even though Stannis oh, is a hard ass, and 
I, I think the other thing that like this is such a politically radical idea. It's been seven, eight hundred years since the last religion kind of came into Westeros and it provoked a bloody civil war. And even mm-hmm. now it's like kind of divided south and north, but they've kind of gotten used to it. Like, okay, well you got your seven, we've got the old gods, whatever. Yeah. But this would be the equivalent of like a modern day president running as a openly serving or openly devout Muslim. Okay. And I don't want to start any like racial or sure, religious it just bullshit. Fly. I'm just making the equip of, of like <clears throat> him embracing this Lord of the Light religion, this foreign religion. Yeah. Would would and recanting from the seven would is that kind of like shocking thing that would be very hard for him to win the support of the entire kingdom. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, and it's, I just, so even if he takes the throne at this point, you think if he still has his beliefs that Melisandre has instilled in him, they may, the people may not like that. Well, I mean, the people, I mean, might makes right a lot, you know, I mean, no one is really great. No one is really super happy with the Targaryens coming in, but they had yeah. three giant ass dragons and there you go. Um, <laughs> You know they weren't happy with their polygamy. They weren't happy with their they weren't happy with their sister fucking. <laughs> but uh, and and they they weren't of the of the faith originally either. But so there's a certain amount of that might makes right. I honestly have no idea um, what would happen if he would be the eventual winner. Yeah. So it'd probably be probably be decades of 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 uh, religious and civil war uh, resulting from it. Okay. All right. Let's go north of the wall. Uh, we see Bran warging in the summer, about to sink his teeth into some juicy dough, and then the Reeds and Hodor pull him out of his uh, warging, say, hey, it's dangerous to spend so much time in wolf skin, because apparently you oh. can lose your humanity. So much exposition in this scene, my God. Well, we do, I think it's, let's just tell you exactly how everything works here, which is fine. I'm I'm okay for when magic. See, trying to pin down see, the magic rules. Fucking bullshit. When you introduce magic, <laughs> you've got to explain everything in these in these extremely long scenes of exposition. That's it's all this scene was. Long. No, it wasn't extremely long. But he, he had to tell us. Oh, well, don't stay in there too long because you could turn into a wolf or not be able to get out and lose yourself. Uh, and then this goes into the tree scene, and I, this shit just... Uh, yeah, I imagine uh, oh, I'm God. throwing a hand grenade into the <laughs> studio asking you what you thought of the warging into the tree business. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I thought dragon flying over King's Landing was cool. How about that? <laughs> yeah, so do you think that is um, a glimpse of the past or a vision of the future? And... Also, uh, one thing I thought was interesting was the vision of the throne room with snow mm. or perhaps ash falling in it. Very similar yeah. to the vision that Danny had going through her warlock temple. Uh, what do you make of that? Which one? Either. You just threw up two. Okay. Uh, the, the snow in the throne room, I assumed, was just a sign of things to come because winter is coming. And there's a vacant throne. Um, Speaking I of winter's it's... coming, Winter Dunn pulled out uh, oh, and then God. came back for round two. Here and in the Midwest, blew yeah. all over the Midwest belly. It's I can't believe it's this deep. And <laughs> it's it's fucking April fifteenth, and I woke up with snow on the ground today. Yeah, but anyway, uh, so I think that's just a sign of bad things to come for um, the Iron Throne. 
in general when winter gets here. And the, as far as the dragons flying over King's Landing, I don't really know all the history of this universe. So to me, all of this was the future, except for obviously the Ned Stark stuff at the beginning of it. Uh, he's dead, as we know. <laughs> so I felt like this is uh, prophetic of the winter coming and Daenerys coming. Mm. See, that's, I guess I guess that's the key because we do see some th- past events happen. Yeah, and we know that dragons were a big part of Westerosi history. You know, three hundred years ago they came over and conquered the whole thing, unified the kingdoms. A hundred years ago they died out, so it's kind of up up for grabs. It's true, yeah. And um, I think that's about it. Uh, the the one thing Get- is that there was a communication from some intelligence. Uh huh. That he needs to look for me beneath the tree. North. North. Which and then is he says, I know where we need to go. Some, uh, which is a really shitty haiku, honestly. I think <laughs> they could have done better. Yeah, I mean, that last one syllable they line. Had the, they had the nature imagery, but it's like the last <laughs> stand. It's not even trying. I have yeah. to give him a fail on that. Uh, can I just say, Bran is getting fucking huge. How old, how much time has passed between the beginning of the series and now? I, in, in story terms. Like two years at best. Oh, Christ. He's getting... Is Hodor yeah. even going to be able to carry him Well, I guess that's already a problem, because uh, the, <laughs> the guy that plays Hodor injured his back oh, in God. the location, and I, th- it looked to me like he was using some form of harness, uh, because it was if you, if you look at him carrying him, it's kind of an unnatural gait. Uh, yeah. Some Andre the Giant prince. Well, because you've not seen the Princess Bride. I know who Andre the Giant is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there's some some of that because Andre, even though he's massive, his back was just terrible at that time. He could not lift Robin Robin Wright. Yeah. Uh, so they had to do this elaborate harness to supported her weight, and I I, I kind of got that flavor from from that scene. It's it's a problem. Yeah. He looked like about. Maybe 10 when they started. He looks like he's about 14 now, so, uh, and, which would and, make and sense. And honestly, if you see him outside of his makeup, they do a pretty damn <laughs> good job making him look as young as he does. Wow. Because um, I was watching him uh, some on some of the DVD interviews, or uh-huh. the Blu-ray interviews, and uh, it's... I again, I think they're they're doing a really good job. Um, Sophie Turner, who plays Sansa, is actually a very tall woman. She's like five ten. Oh, and supposedly, wow. uh, uh, Bran is now the tallest of the Stark children. Holy cow! So yeah, they're you got a six foot dude uh-huh. portraying a ten year old. Well, I mean, that puberty is a hell of a th- hell of a, hell of a thing. <laughs> I guess so. So uh, the ravages of time, <laughs> right? Um. Let me see. Mostly just ravaging Hodor's back, though. <laughs> the ravages of lumbar. <laughs> uh, house lumbar. <laughs> Our backs hurt. House, house back brace. <laughs> Our house words are, God damn my back. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, back to King's Landing. We're in the middle of a goddamn wedding. And speaking mm. of goddamn, Marjorie, goddamn. Looking good, Marjorie. Looking good. She's working it. Um, the high septon intones, cursed be he who would seek to tear them asunder. And the camera focuses on Oberyn, Olena, Loras, and Pycelle. Those Hmm. are the the characters we're actually familiar with that the camera is focusing on as these words are spoken. You make anything of that, Jim. What were the words that were spoken there? Uh, just the standard, you know, cursed any man who is, you know, what God has put, what the gods have put together, let no man break. Okay. Huh. 
it's an interesting clue uh, as far as kind of the mystery that we see at the end of this episode. And I, I guess it's supposed to be a mystery, right? I mean, is that what they're going for? Like, they expect everybody to be talking about who killed Certainly. Joffrey. I will say, okay. I will say a couple things. Um, you can piece together 90% of the whodunit just based on visual evidence in this episode. Okay. And I've got some discussions of people that claim not to be book readers who are digging into these issues. And I'm going to save that at the very end of the feedback section because... Well, if if you're going to say that these... That these people, you're basically saying these people are right. No, I'm You've saying you got to put I'm that saying, in the spoiler I'm, section. I'm saying that the evidence is all there, and there's a lot of. I know by saying three that, or four different theories about what the evidence oh. means. But I'm saying okay. just pointing okay. out the pieces of evidence. It's I don't weird think that's be, a spoiler. Yeah, well, because like on Breaking Bad, I know, I know. I'm just trying to be sensitive uh, with Breaking yeah. Bad when there is a since time where oh god, I'm trying. No, to no, no, no. Don't spoil know, that. Yeah. I'm not, Okay. But there's a time where some character is a theory that planted something on another character. Mm-hmm. And there the evidence was visually there on the screen, but we didn't find out till like a season and a half later that that in fact did happen. Yeah. But you could talk about the theory and maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, or maybe it was just this or maybe it's just that. No one really knew. Well, here we have <laughs> the answers in the books. In the books. Yeah. And they've been very clever about putting all the evidence out there that would support that conclusion. Um, but I, I don't think you can get the whole story just from looking at the episode because there's a couple things you just have to wait on. I just want to give people a, bit, a heads up that we will we'll be talking about that, but it's going to be the last thing we talk about. And if you are sensitive yeah. about if you just want to feel clever and try to figure this out on your own, you can shut it off before then. All right, and I have not read that feedback or the books or anything, so my speculation here is my own speculation. Yep. Um, I think that's interesting that they would show, I guess, um, these characters uh, right before, like, saying, you know, uh, breaking apart a marriage, this particular marriage, and then Joffrey dies at the end. I wonder if that's not a clue, like, trying to say that Olena and her cohorts did it. I don't know. I, I feel like there's also some Oberon-y stuff in there as well. Sure. So, and I, I definitely don't think it was Tyrion, but we'll get there, right? Yep, we will. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Although Tyrion in the scene looks disgusted, I think, that that Joffrey gets his bride that he loves, and Tyrion was just forced to send his away. Mm. It, it seems like he's fairly angry about that. Sure. Uh, So... Now we see, uh, uh, speaking of Lady Olena, Tywin and Lady Olena are talking. I thought it's hilarious how Mace, her son, uh, who's a lord in his own right, walks up and is like, hey, I starts opening his mask. He's like, not now. I'm, you know, the adults are talking. That's He's her son? Just, yeah. How old is this woman? Supposed to be like 90? Well, look how old she is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But he's I, I didn't not. I mean, that. come on. Mace isn't like... He's in his 50s. All right, sure. I guess she, so might, she, could she be... probably... Well... Yeah, in the time she'd probably be like seventy. Maybe. Man, and, and this, and if you're a lord in this damn universe, it seems like as soon as a your bride can is flowered, yeah. quote unquote flowered, which thirteen, fourteen, you're yeah, trying yeah. to put a baby inside of her. Mm-hmm. So she could she be might anywhere be in her 60s. from her sixties into seventies, right? Um, I don't know how old Dame Diana Riggs is. 
I could probably find out on Wikipedia. Maybe if you get on a tear, I'll do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. She's basically taunting May, uh, uh, not Mace, um, Tywin about how indebted they are to her and how she's like basically worrying about the Iron Bank. You know, wars are so expensive. You know, how much gold are you shitting anyway? Yeah, and she seems to think it's an issue, whereas Tywin doesn't. Well, I mean, if Tywin was a word about it, you think he'd sweat in front of... No, of course not. Um, I will say that this feast looks annoying as hell. It's basically <laughs> just a bunch of street buskers coming up and assaulting, like juggling you, aggressive light in your face and blowing <laughs> fire. And I was like, can I just eat my fucking pigeon pie? Yeah. Can you, can, how much do I got to pay <laughs> to sit at a table where no one juggles in my fucking face? That's, yeah. that's me as a, as a, like the, as, as, extroverted as i get eating out is like a japanese steakhouse yeah and i still hate it when i have to sit share the table with people i don't know oh like a hibachi yeah grill? okay like that's the worst when you go with a party four and there's another party f- yeah and they're a bunch of fuckwits yeah. and like you know it's like you're catching food and it gets to them like oh we don't catch food i'm like oh i feel like a jackass now i caught food like a fucking seal for your amusement <laughs> and you won't fuck you buddy see yeah, yeah. The, well, I'm and that's, poorly socialized. The busker is the correct term because they expect tips. The people as well. are throwing coins at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely have a bunch of gold dragons in my pocket just to beat them, move it, beat it. <laughs> Here's one right between your eyes, fucker. Yep. All right. Uh, Braun assures Tyrion that he's shipped because the rest of this thing is just one big scene. Yeah. Braun assures Tyrion that Shay has been shipped off to Pintos. Okay, I have no idea where that is, but I know it takes a boat to get there. Uh, Pintos is the first location, one of the first locations we see. It's where Danny and uh, her brother, um, who I'm, I've completely blanked on, Viserys, uh, start their journey at. Okay. That's where Cal Drogo ra- rides up. Is like, yep, fuckable, and then takes off. <laughs> That's Pintos. <laughs> That's basically what he did. No, you're absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> So uh, I thought it was funny. Ob- uh, uh, Obron says hello, and Tyrion said, "Hey, how how how's it going?" He's like, "No, I'm not talking to you." And it pans to the the uh, the, the pretzel bender. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady Olena comes up and fusses over Sansa's hair, uh, uh, teases Tyrion about uh, him begging last season for you know the the Tyrells help paying for the wedding. Says if your pauper husband can sell his his mule and last pair of shoes, maybe he can afford to come down to High Garden and visit. Wow. And yeah, she also uh, apologizes or not apologizes, but said she's sorry about what happened. She miserates. To Robin Catlin. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know what her motives are with Sansa. It seems to be that she does actually care about her well being, uh, based on stuff we saw last season, but. Mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't tell you at this point. I know everybody seems to have ulterior motives. Right on. Okay, so we then see a band that's playing like a very dispirited version of the Reigns of Castamere, and Tyrion gets sick of their shit and gives him a golden <laughs> shower. Um, Wait, not Tyrion. I'm Joffrey. sorry, Joffrey. Yeah. Uh, this actually is a band, an Icelandic post-rock band, oh, whatever boy. the hell that is, and their name is, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's uh, Sierra Ross, and they're actually they're also oh the, yeah I think it's Sugar Ross. It's not, and it's because uh, I actually looked at I I went on I know the first is Sear Sierra Ross. Sierra. It's not Sigur. There's no. G- I, I've heard it pronounced all sorts of ways. Really? So, yeah. Well, it's probably because dumb fucks like me are reading it. 
but I, I'm not going to go and try to pronounce anything else that I found in a Wikipedia article. <laughs> okay. But the upshot is they, the the people playing the very excellent haunted version of the Reigns of Castamere at the end over the credits that uh, is this band. Yeah. I actually thought it could be Jack Leeson. Yeah, I don't know that he could sing that well. I don't know that he can, but he could. <laughs> I don't know that he can't either, it, yeah. It sounded kind of like a Jack Leeson, okay. but anyway. Uh, then we have the Queen's announcement that the leftovers at the uh, at the feast will be given to the poor, which I thought was kind of um, That's her an, under, an underwhelming, like, you know, what we you will mean? slop the pigs with our leftovers after the... It's better than I get doing it. whatever they were gonna it, do with feeding them. it to the, you know feeding it to the hounds or throwing it away or whatever. Yeah. But still, it's like one of those like kind of let them eat cake things. That sure, I'm sure she thought she's being generous, but it seemed like a kind of a a, a dick move. Yeah, yeah, it's not as bad as let them eat cake, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, then uh, Cersei comes up and gives her kiss on both cheeks and says, "Oh, you're an example to us all. Mm. Keep that in mind as we see the first of many uh, showdowns. One is Loras versus Jamie. Yeah, what do you think of that? Before this happens, there's a knowing nod between Oberyn and Loras. Oh yeah, oh yeah. like not knowing in the biblical sense. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if they have already hooked up." But it seems like at some point they're going to. There was an open not, invitation yeah. to either begin the union or rekindle it. Sure. So I thought that was interesting. What did I think about the confrontation between Loris and Jamie? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Loris got the better of him, like I said in the instant cast. I mean, we kind of covered this. Yeah, because it's something Jamie wants and Loris doesn't. So yeah. Anytime you're going off of that, you're, you're, you're playing with a pretty poor hand. For sure. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> You're playing with a gilded steel hand, not yeah. a solid gold one. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about that? Nope. Uh, Brienne comes up to the royal table, wishes the couple well. Uh, Cersei then, after making amusement of the fact that she bows instead of curtsies, yeah. says she shows her gratitude. Um, fascinating scene. Brienne says, uh, Jamie rescued, uh, in, in fact, Jamie rescued me more than once. Mm-hmm. Rescued me hard. Rescued me all night long. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Cersei then bitches to her, well, it must be nice to flit from one camp to the next and just, you know, hmm. uh, be loyal to whoever suits you. And then she drops the, uh, you love him bomb. And we cut to a long scene of Brienne saying <laughs> shit. And then a long scene of Cersei going shit. And then a glance mm. across to Jamie, seeing them both look at each other saying <laughs> shit. Uh, what do you make of this? We talked about this instant cast. Yeah. And I've really looked at it the second time I watched it. What's there? My opinion did not change. I think Brienne didn't realize that she had actual feelings for Jamie until Cersei brought it up. Uh, Cersei's realizing this is, might be a problem in the future. Uh, although I don't think Cersei is still is back on the Jamie bandwagon yet, right? She's still kind of doing her. That doesn't mean she wants anybody. You else waited to too be, long, thing. That doesn't mean she wants anybody else to be on that. Quote yeah, unquote bandwagon. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's it's harder for me to tell what's going through Cersei's head here. Mm. Uh, maybe you have some speculation on that. But as far as Brienne goes, I think she's waking up to the notion that she does. Yeah, I uh, there was a really good take on Facebook, and I'm trying to find out real quick who 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 had the thought. But it's kind of echoing you that maybe Brienne didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. 
Um, no, it's it actually Nina Perez from the uh, Project Fandom. She said her it was shock that Cersei would ask that, and then her immediate internal response was a yes, yeah. which also shocked her. Yeah, it's like, oh shit, I might, I might love this man. Yeah, her eyes widen. You can tell. And, what and she's thinking. you know what I think is really telling about this because this has been a, a debate, you know, that I've been aware of for a while amongst book readers about what, how does Jamie feel about Brienne? How does Brienne feel about Jamie? Is it mm-hmm. is it you know platonic? Is it brother sister? Is it fellow warrior? There's definitely ambiguity here. And the guy that wrote this fucking episode is George R. <laughs> R. Martin himself. Yeah. So anyone saying there's no ambiguity here can go fuck themselves because if 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 this was his golden opportunity. To put that down and in that ambiguity, yeah. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that they're going to get together and they're going to have kids and going to be happy ever after. I'm just yeah. saying it's very complicated, and sure. that's certainly what I got from reading the books. And I think that's vindicated in the scene. And it feels like it's just going to get more complicated because there could be a potential love triangle developing here uh, between Cersei, Jamie, and Brienne. That that's a very bad thing for Brienne, in my opinion, because she doesn't have any of the power. Cersei, if can we talk about this? Who the fuck is the queen now? Okay. Because let's leave that because there's there's a lot of feedback about that question. Okay. Okay, good. Um so we got that uh, Cersei then goes up cock blocks Pycelle right into the glass. Uh tells him to quit your lechin and go down to the kitchens and tell them to feed all the leftovers to the dogs. He's like, but, but the queen. And she's like, I'm the queen. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, so Pycelle waddles off, but in the very next scene, he's seen sitting close to Varys still at the feast. Hmm. So did he put on his track shoes I think, and yeah. quit the old man act, <laughs> ran down to the kitchens and come back? Or did he's mm-hmm. like, well, fuck the old queen. New queen said this. Uh, and I'm more afraid. Yeah. Of, I mean, that that's... That's a hard piece of math to do if you're Pycelle, because you're a Lannister oh, creature. Yeah. J- Joffrey's a vicious cunt. Cersei's a vicious creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't call Cersei a vicious cunt? No. Even though you I call Joffrey I, one? Yeah. Because he, I, I have that's, a hard time calling women that. That's sexist. I don't care. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sexist about that. All right. <laughs> Jack Gleason gives very good cunt. Um it just seems it's just, everyone says he's a charming dude in real life, though. He was very. I'm sure he is. Yeah. He, he there there's a um him and uh, uh, Natalie Dormer who plays Marjorie do a co commentary on one of the season three Blu-rays. Cool. Hilarious. Hmm. He's very funny and self aware about Joffrey and that's good. All that. Yeah, I find it pretty easy to separate his character from the actor right. there because he's just such an asshole. Yeah. I don't believe that anyone could be that way in real life and, and get to where he is. And such, I mean, it's very hard to play a hateable character that's not just, you just, there's hateable characters like him and there's hateable characters that are just annoying yeah. unintentionally or they the, the writers don't have a good grasp on, you know, what is irritating versus what is hateable. Okay, yeah. and, and he does a very good job. It's both. like watching a Rob Schneider movie, right? <laughs> Versus watching Jack. You're not Jack supposed Leeson. to hate him. Yeah, but I do, and we're supposed to hate. Just <laughs> also, like you know, a lot of people express sorrow that he's gone because he's such a great character. Yeah, he's like one of those guys sure. you love to hate, and we don't got Joffrey to kick around no more. Yep. Anyway, I forget what we're going to. Oh yeah, Sir Dantas shows up. Um, gets pelted with whatever is at hand to be thrown. Mm-hmm. Uh, exit stage left. Uh, Oberon and Alaria then show square off versus Tywin and Cersei. And I thought that Alaria was like 
uh, on my instant take was kind of put off by the conversation, or at least she was shut up. I, but I actually think she was so impressed by her man. Like, I got, whenever it cut to her, she was just like excited, like, oh, Auburn's kicking their ass. Huh. I don't think she jumped in, not because she didn't feel like he needed any backup. Mm, yeah. Uh, we both thought that Oberon won this fairly handily. Um, do you have any other thoughts on multiple watches? Uh, no, this was a fairly straightforward scene, I thought. Yeah, basically, uh, you're the former queen regent, not even the mm. real queen. Sure. Uh, you're a broke-ass old man that should have gout, and I got your daughter and your granddaughter as a hostage, and yeah. I'm not going to rape And I've got and the moral high her. ground. And yeah. I got the moral high ground. So what do you got? That's right. <laughs> um, so it's pretty much a decisive victory. Mm -hmm. uh, Joffrey calls an end to the amusement with his War of the Five Kings farce. Um, who is Rinley supposed to be writing? I don't know, but he's got his ass out. If I mean, if if that's supposed to be Sir Loras, that is ballsy even for Joffrey. Yeah, yeah, I because it's some dude in a like a white. It's got to be a dude, or else none of the jokes make sense. Well, Stannis is riding Melisandre. Melisandre. Yeah, um, Greyjoy's riding a squid. Rob has his the wolf head on. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I just assume that it's yeah. is Loras. I think you're right, and that's. That's like a huge fuck you to the Tyrells, man, which explains I mean, all their dour expressions. I mean, he does fuck you to his own house. I mean, look at what he does to Tyrion in this episode. But no, like, I mean, his. I don't think his grandfather... Well, no, I don't think Tywin likes public mocking of any Lannister. I don't think so, no. I mean, as he said, he went to war when Tyrion got captured. So even the least of his children, he's pretty fucking serious about their honor. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Tywin's got to be just stewing here. Oh, well, that's the thing. You look at his Steaming, face, yeah. and it is like he's he's having a, an internal conniption fit that he can't let on because what is he going to do? Emasculate the... It's one thing to do that in a small council, yeah, but in all the public? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of disbelief that, like, oh, my God, he's really behaving. Let's just get to it. So... Okay. Uh, did you also... Did you notice Varys getting bopped in the head by Renly's mace? No, I didn't see it. There's a scene right like at the 44 minute mark where you know Renly's kind of gone into the, the quote unquote Renly's gone into the crowd, mm. and he rides past Varys and smacks his head with his fake mace, and Varys just like closes his eyes like, like like sideshow Bob, <laughs> like Ugh. yeah, he just can't stand being around all these idiots. <laughs> um, and then we get to the humiliation of Tyrion. It's already humiliating enough. Yes, your uncle's a dwarf. You hire a bunch of humiliating dwarf entertainment, mm -hmm. and you're taking shots at his wife, his brother, reminding yep. everyone that she's got traitor's blood. Although the the um, I will say that I quite enjoyed the wildfire explosion of confetti that oh, came out of the Stannis. Yeah. I was dwarf. wondering what that was. I yeah. couldn't tell. Okay. I, I I wondered what it was too, and then but then when I watched the second time, I heard the Stannis guy go, "Oh no, wildfire." <laughs> Um, that's pretty that, funny that was pretty cool yeah but and, and Tyrion tries to handle it gracefully like mm -hmm. he's trying to give but he can't resist you know putting a barb yeah. and then what I thought was interesting about Joff's stupidity is that you know he keeps insulting Tyrion and Tyrion tries to turn around and is like well you're the king this is and he's like it's not intended to be a, a, a an honor mm-hmm you know, and and just the fact that he's completely lacking of self awareness, and also yeah. 
and this is why I think Jack Leeson's brilliant. He plays this like when he's ordering ordering Tyrion to kneel. He plays like he's got this awareness of the room because when Tyrion doesn't do it, he kind of looks around like, oh, God, I'm being embarrassed. Mm-hmm. But he completely lacks empathy, the fact that everyone is so fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. And that is a very hard thing to communicate. I've seen lots of actors and actresses do that whole self-conscious thing. Mm-hmm. And it look kind of, and it just you know, there's a difference between a good actor and a bad actor, I guess. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's a great actor. Uh, so it gets really fucking awkward with this cut bear <laughs> stuff. Um, he pours a glass of wine on Jeffrey. It's just wine. No, on Joffrey, Tyrion. On, on Tyrion. It's just wine. Yep. Uh, he knocks the glass over. Tyrion has to crawl into the table. Sansa helps him out. Orders in the kneel. It's just super tense. And then Marjorie breaks the tension with look the pie she does that a couple times in this episode she tries really hard yeah really hard yeah yeah she does um joffrey then takes his valerian steel sword slices open the pie a bunch of birds shoot out of it like in the nursery song a bunch of birds stay in it i like the cut <laughs> to the, the the devastation he's wrought to like half the the the, the pigeon population in there yeah i like how he it shocks him. It surprises him. He falls backwards and holds onto his crown and bobbles yeah. his sword. He's like, oh. and then tries to play it off like I knew that was going to happen. Right? No, he's a, that's he's, just a small touch. That he's a giant dick. Yeah. Uh, and he's such a he's just such a coward. So anyway, at this point, Tyrion tries to leave. Uh, you know, and Joffrey calls on. He's like, no, where are you going, Cut Bear? This pie is dry. Uh, I need some wine, and. Yep. Uh, then he starts choking, uh, people start losing their shit, Jamie's the first that comes running, uh, and, uh, at, at this, Sir Dantas comes up and, uh, delivers a pizza to Sansa. Wait, no, uh, that's Sir Donatus. He actually comes up and says, you gotta, you know, he, he Schwarzenegger's to her, come with me if you want to live. Uh, apparently they fuck off somewhere, and... Uh, Joffrey manages to finger Tyrion, you know, point at him as he dies gruesomely. Uh, really great effects work. Cersei yeah. says, you know, sees him, sees him off with his head, and we cut the we cut the Seer Ross uh, singing the Lannisters theme song. <laughs> yeah, what a great way to end this episode. Uh, completely unexpected, but great, just great all around. I loved it. Um, so anything else, to, or should I just slide around into the, uh, paying the bills portion of this, uh, podcast? Well, I have a lot of questions. I have questions, All which right, do... I, I know we'll talk about the queen stuff here in a bit. Let me do, let me do the, uh, let me pay the bills and then we'll get your questions and then we'll get to feedback. Okay. Uh, so you're listening to this podcast is on the bald move network. Uh, it's uh, Jim and I and a bunch of other podcasters and we're, uh, almost 100% uh, funded by the generosity of our listeners. Uh, there's a couple ways you can support us. One is using our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com. If you're shopping on Amazon, please, please, please use our link. Um, and it doesn't have to be big money because there's a couple ways Amazon rewards us. One is sheer dollar amount, but also the number of items that are ordered in any one given month increases. Like we hit thresholds. Like when we refer 400 items, we get x amount of percent and it gets up and up so you know if if just even ordering a toothbrush or toenail clippers that still counts towards that and gets us more more money so 
Uh, appreciate everyone that does that. Also check out our subbable.com slash bald move. Subbable is a voluntary subscription system where you can sign up and uh, agree to send us on a single one-time basis or monthly recurring a uh, dollar, a couple dollars. And the cool thing is it's, you know, Jim's called it like Kickstarter on layaway because you can take the money that you've sent to us and bank it towards rewards. So, you know, if you send us a dollar a month after 10, after 10 months, you, you can qualify for one of the $10 rewards. So check it out. Well, look at our pitch on there. Um, if, if nothing else, please, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that's the primary way we get new listeners. So if you've gotten uh, no money and no Amazon, you can do that. Or tell a friend. Any way that we can uh, grow the network is a way that you can support us, and we really appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it's not just us doing television. We also have got the the three ladies out in L.A., Amy, Gerald, and Susan doing the Because Show, talking about women's issues, sexuality, book reviews, pop culture, culinary arts. you got the two jackasses in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> Eric and Jesse talking about beer, board games, um, uh, comic book movies, any kind of general geek stuff. They're awesome. They're hilarious. And don't forget about Tom and Kelly. Uh, they're doing Mr. Selfridge right now, which is on Masterpiece Theater. They handle all things Britannia for us. Uh, also very funny, very clever people. And that's all. I've got the bills paid. Jim, what questions do you have? Okay, a couple of questions. Can we talk about the queen now? Who is Who the fuck is the queen at this point? Because there are a couple things in the episode that suggest that Cersei is not queen, and yet when she commands that All right, let's read, Tyrion be taken away. Let's read an email. Van T says, I wonder if you guys could talk about the power struggle between the former queen regent Cersei and the new queen Marjorie. During the wedding, Marjorie declared all the leftover food to be go to the poorest people in the city. However, moments later, Cersei tells Pycelle to let the leftovers go to the dogs. Pycelle finds himself in an awkward position, whether to follow the commands of his queen or disobey her out of fear of Cersei. Which do you think he would have done, and will Marjorie be able to maintain the throne and power now that Joffrey's dead? Okay, I mean, that's a little bit of a different question, right? But it comes to the heart of it is who's in charge. It does. Uh... So Marjorie has not consummated and will never consummate this marriage. And I think with that's Joffrey. the key. Okay. That's what I've seen from several people. Uh, the fact that it's not consummated means that she's not actually the queen and that potentially uh, Cersei could end up being the queen once again until they get a replacement for Joffrey. Uh, my other question they is... They have a replacement with Joffrey. His name's Tommen, and if people didn't notice... Is it the blonde kid sitting next to Tyrion? Y- uh, yep. Okay, exactly. that was my other question. Who's going to be the king now? Uh, the so. next uh, the next Lannister bastard uh, of a incestual union of Jaime and Cersei in line for the throne is uh, is Tommen. He's younger. Oh He's younger yeah. than... That's the only thing we know is that he's visibly younger than Joffrey. And that he laughs at the stuff that Joffrey does this episode. Uncomfortably, though. He, he at least uh, feels guilty when he notices his Only because he's sitting next to Tyrion, yeah. Mm-hmm. He laughs, and then he looks over, and, oh, maybe I shouldn't have laughed at that. Sure, sure. So, I guess Joffrey wouldn't have cared. Right, Joffrey Tyrion just kept laughing, or would have laughed harder when he saw his making uh, <laughs> yeah. Tyrion uncomfortable. We... Also, I think I believe Tommen was the only child that showed excitement at Tyrion coming back in the second season. Oh, okay. Uh, if you go all the way back to Joff's named it day celebration, huh? Um, so that's my intake, and you know, it's an open question about you know what's going to happen. Is Marjorie? I mean, this is now the second king that she's 
not had sex with after being married to, <laughs> um, is 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 that going to be a taint? Is Tommen old enough to marry her? I don't uh, know will what she her be, will the tie, is. What, what will the tie, What will the Tyrell say? Because you know this has been. Uh, you know they're expecting to be married into the royal family, and it, now yeah. it's up in air. Are there? They just paid for his lavish wedding. What the hell's going on there? Uh, you have any other questions that come to mind? I don't know. You. It seems like you're not going to definitively answer who is the queen because we're not supposed to know yet. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it just it, my big question is: is the ceremony the important thing because that happened, or is the consummation the important thing? Seems like in this world the consummation is part of the ceremony. They go together, or there is no marriage. Well, I think I think in the old world, and and still this day, for like I think Roman Catholics or at least devout ones, it's it's important the whole consummation that important or the thing like that the determines thing, whether like or not you're married. Sex between married couples is a sacrament mm-hmm. that is part of the marriage ceremony. So it's like it's like not saying I do. Now, okay. in our world, it doesn't get matter. Did you sign the fucking marriage license? Exactly. Yeah. Boom, you're married. It doesn't matter whether a you know dog catcher married you or the pope. <laughs> it's all legal in our secular society. Yeah. But in this society, where the high priest is over, I it, it I and and there, I'm sure there's games that you can play. Um, it's an open question about whether. I mean, Marjorie really didn't consummate because she damn she tried really hard to get Rinley to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, who's to say they didn't get it, it a few times? I mean, I, I don't know. She told uh, she told obvious pack of lies to Joffrey last season, but I think consummation is as important. It's it's basically okay. the the last checkbox, which is why the betting ceremony is so important. Yeah, it's a way for publicly everyone to certify that <laughs> these people have boned. In the story. Then I'm worried that Cersei may become Queen Regent again. I would say even if they, I mean, yeah. I mean, Cersei, it's, even if it was all the dies dotted and T's cross if Joffrey died, I can't imagine her, you know, uh, just giving up the the Regency that easily. I, oh, I'm sure yeah, she and would her try. power isn't gone, even if she's not the Queen, certainly. Well, that is, I don't know. I don't know that that's true. I mean, she has far more sway with her family and with people in the kingdom than that's Marjorie. That's true, but her power, di- her power diminished appreciably when Tywin came back to the scene. True, yeah. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, she definitely still has power and pull, and she's still a Lannister, but... I'm sure there are people screaming, this is exactly how it goes, and why don't you people know this? <laughs> Well, I do right now. I'm just saying. I know you do, but you don't want to give away book knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, so let's start the feedback proper. We asked what the purple red, red wedding meant um, because I honestly was ignorant of the terminology, and we've got a couple spoiler answers and a couple non spoiler answers, and I'll give the spoiler non spoilery ones now. Xavier said the purple wedding is another way of saying a royal wedding. Purple is the color okay. of royalty since going back to antiquity. Yep. Word has it the Emperor Nero once made it illegal for anyone in Rome to wear purple, but him. What a diva, that Nero. Uh, Jeffrey, not Joffrey, Jeffrey B. says, As Joffrey lay down to die, the first person to decide is not Cersei, not Marjorie, not Tywin. Rather, it is Jamie. I can only see this as Jamie recognizing that his son was dying, not his son, the king, but his son. 
Yet when Cersei, Jamie's former lover and mother to Joffrey, arrives, she pushes poor Jamie aside and yells, Don't touch him! It made me feel for Jamie and just goes to show how far he has fallen that he has to hover over off to the side like a decoration as his own son dies. Should have smacked her with that golden hand. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, sorry. Gilded steel hand. <laughs> Who would have thunk that Cal Drogo's wedding would turn out to be the most dull of all weddings in the show? <laughs> damn, damn fine With point. the killings and the nudity. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't know that Jamie knows what to feel. I mean, he feels at a gut level about this, but what, I, it, that's, that's a, it is, I like to say, an open question about how he really feels about Joffrey. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, it's his flesh and blood, but he's not been a father to him his entire life in the way that Cersei's been his mother. Yeah. Uh, Janine S. said, I'm pretty sure that Melisandre was sizing up Shireen. After all, King's blood can do magic, and how much more pure do you get than Shireen? The only reason she doesn't just kill her is that Stannis loves his daughter, even though he has no way to show it comfortably, and that he will kill Melisandre with the help of Ser Davos if she harms her. Mm-hmm. If the girl, quote-unquote, believes in the Red God, there might be another angle, but Shireen is smarter than that, and I don't doesn't think she believes in much anymore. I really like the glimpses of her character that we've gotten in the series. She's much more than she is in the books thus far. Hmm. Uh, do you give two shits to comment on that, Jim, or should we keep going? Uh... Yeah, I I don't know. I guess it's interesting. <laughs> the concept of Selyse and Melisandre perhaps scheming to either co- co-opt and corrupt her or sacrifice her is interesting and horrifying, I think. Sure, sure. Uh, Joss H. says, Why do we regard Jamie as such a great swordsman? They mentioned what a great tourney rider he was, but swordsman? Was a sword hand famous simply because it killed Eris? I think the the mythos has built him up to be... A great swordsman. I I seem to recall... I mean, I've never read the books, and I don't mm-hmm. talk to people about Game of Thrones, so the fact that I think he's a great swordsman tells me that there's something in the show that says that he's a great swordsman. Well, I mean, that's the thing. And he himself... I mean, Brienne is kind of worried when he gets that sword on the bridge, right? Even though he's weak... And tied up hands. And chained. And, yeah. And, yeah. Um, so, the problem with the works of Martin is a lot of the problem with the show is that most of the action is described. It is very rarely shown. Hmm. So we have, uh, you know, some canonical badasses like Sir Arthur Dane and Sir Barristan Selmy, who we know, uh, we see, I, I mean, I've seen enough of Sir Barristan to know that he, especially in his prime was a ferocious sword, sword fighter. Hmm. And Jamie was said to be his equal. Okay. Uh, so, and he was not even remotely afraid of Ned Stark. Uh, I mean, he's really not. I mean, I've never seen him be afraid of anybody post losing his or before losing his hand. And like you said, I know also I've seen enough of Brienne to know that she is a good swordswoman. And uh, he, I think in the book, actually did a slightly better job of taking her to the limit. Huh. You know, with one hand tied behind his back and in a weakened condition than they showed in... Because they don't have time huh. yeah. to spend, like, 15 pages describing a sword fight that rages all over the place. Where yeah. in the book, it's like, you know, we got six, you know, 30... It's something that they knew that George Lucas doesn't. That people can only watch a sword fight for so long before <laughs> you start getting bored with it. Sure. Um, so that's... that. Again, it's not something we ever see. It's just kind yeah. of word of mouth. 
Uh, Van T says, uh, oh, we already talked about that. Bradley H says, I'm trying to figure out what led to deterioration of the relationship between Cersei and Pycelle. Early in the series, the two seemed to work together frequently. She even worked to free Pycelle after Tyrion jailed him, and now she can't stand him. Hmm. Am I forgetting something that happened? Jim? I don't know. That's a really good question, because I'm in the same boat he is. I think we're seeing the deterioration of his status. Wow, it deteriorated fast. Like his health. Like his apparent health. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, the fact is, uh, Cersei's becoming a drunk. Yeah. She's something of a mean drunk. Uh, her, her, her brother, you know, she expected Pycelle to be kind of her woman and her brother end around and had him thrown in jail on pretenses of him being, you know, um, a lecher and a traitor and all that stuff. And she also probably has had a baseline kind of level of disgust. And, you know, like she alluded to last episode that he's probably tried to get her naked and, oh, I need to examine you. Oh, you know, <laughs> um, to give you a thorough examination. So she's just not above bullying and threatening an old man to get her way. I don't think that we have seen any cause for, you know, he's done nothing but try to serve the Lannisters mm-hmm. to this point. So, um, Chris A says, did Marjorie set the new exit strategy for awkward situations? Look, the pie then walks away. <laughs> I think we should make that a thing, Jim. Anytime things are getting a little awkward on a podcast, just say, look, the pie and move on. Okay, we can make that a thing. <laughs> uh, we should make a t-shirt. Just have a pie in the front, and then look, you yep. know. Um, Pimby, you guys alluded to the verbal sparring, the fact that the Lannisters seem to lose all of their spars this week. I like how these reflect the political situation the Lannisters' characters find themselves in. Tywin lost his battle with Oberyn. This mirrors, mirrors the fact that he almost broke from his is almost broke from his wars. This mirrors the fact that he is almost broke from his wars and is about to lose grip on the throne. He also lost to the Queen of Thorns, in my view. Cersei lost with Tywin against Oberyn, foreshadowing the loss of her son and already her daughter and her love and her uh, liver. <laughs> Jamie lost to Loras, reflecting the loss of his hand, his father, based on last week, his love and soon-to-be loss of his son. You could also throw in respect there, giving his tutelage by Bronn. Joffrey lost to Tyrion in that, although Tyrion was humiliated, he never did get Tyrion to kneel before him, Zod style. I can't decide if Shay being sent away is a win for Tyrion and that she is alive or a loss and that she is gone. Either way, I think she will be dead soon. What What's your non-spoiler take on that, Jim? I, I just agree. I mean, uh, the Lannisters have been beaten up this episode, right? What do you think about the speculation about Shay's status? Think she's a goner? I don't, I really don't know. Do you think this show's got the balls to kill Tyrion? Wow. I think he's everybody's favorite character. That's the trouble. Um, Do they have the balls to kill Bronn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can kill Bronn at any time. Uh, I, I enjoy his performance, but I, I think he's not that valuable uh, as far as the story goes. Yeah, I I don't know. You, you might... <laughs> Killing Tyrion would take some serious balls. Uh-huh. And I think if anybody's got him, it's George Martin. What about Danny? Kill Danny right Kill Danny. now? No, I mean like at any point in in a um in a Daryl Dixon time frame in the next season or two. Oh god. Uh I'm just testing to see it if you, really if depends you think on what happens can die in the show. Cuz a lot of people say that, but I wonder if they really believe it. Um I don't think Daenerys can die yet. 
it seems like she's got big things in store for her. And if we don't see those play out, I'm going to feel cheated. Um, at least to the point where dragons are strafing cities, blowing people up. Okay. Uh, that's got to happen. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? All right. Um, as far as Tyrion goes, I feel like his major opponent was defeated this episode, but then you got Cersei, who's kind of become a major opponent at this point. Um, and wants to pin it all on him. And does want to pin it all on him. So I could see him dying in the next season, sure. Or even this season, near the end. Mildly interesting, Jim. <laughs> Mildly interesting analysis. Ben G says, Am I the only one who's let down by Joffrey's death? I was hoping for a Theon-style fate or at least a scene with Joffrey whimpering and begging for his life. <laughs> he went out pretty quick and did nothing to embarrass himself or his legacy. What do you think, Jim? I, thought, I have a strong take on this. I thought it was fairly fitting the way he went out. He went out after humi- being humiliated after humiliating someone else. And that was okay with me. Yeah. That's what I just wanted to see him. I mean, choking on a pie, uh-huh. which is it looked to everyone like that's what happened. Right? He choked on a pie. I'm sure there are going to be reports of the king died eating pie. It seems like that on. was the intent. Yeah. If we're going to speculate that this was murder most foul and uh-huh. not just Cersei overreacting, I'm pretty sure it was murder and not just a blood doesn't off, squirt out your nose and ears pie. when you just when you just choke. Really? No, I don't think so. Uh, but if we're going to go with that theory, that yeah. that uh, then, shit, I built this up to where I can't even say. What was I saying? <laughs> I don't know, man. You going to ask me what you were saying? Yeah, you, you can't see it in the fires or burn a leech or tell me what I was thinking. Sorry. Um, God damn it. I hate when I do that. <sighs> anyway. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, oh, Yeah. Short of like an Indiana Jones style, open up the arc and your face melts off your skull. I yeah. don't see how you can get much better. Yes, you could torture him. You could make mm-hmm. him beg for your life. But, you know, I don't know that that would bring anything new to the table. And I don't know that thematically feels the same. Yeah, I, like, thematically would, you're right. How in the world would that ever happen? He is in an yeah. absolute security. Like He's it's going to be power. something like a... You know, a, a freaky scorpion like what tried to kill out Danny, or a, yeah. an assassin's dagger, or a faceless man, or a poison. It's not you're not going to get that long drawn out torture. You know, yeah, ending. kidnapping the king and shackling him to a cross in your dungeon is not an option. Mm-mm. It's not going to happen. You got the king's guard. That's the whole point of the king's guard. Um. So let's see. Uh. Anissa said a question for both of you that concerns Joffrey's death. I've read online that many people were elated at his death and cheering throughout that scene. Yeah. But Germ, George R. R. Martin, has said that he wanted the reader's viewers to feel some kind of empathy for Joffrey because, at least in the books, he is still only a 13-year-old boy. Oh, no, I don't care. He's a 13-year-old asshole. I I am a book reader, (laughs) and even though I feel that Joffrey deserved the terrible death that he received, the scene in the book, and to some extent the scene in the show of his death, did evoke some sympathy for me for the character. Really? I felt like the scene in the book made me stop and think about Joffrey as a person and consider whether or not all of his evilness wasn't completely his fault, and maybe he was a product of his environment. I don't think that came off as well in the show. Uh, So what do you think of that? Because I do... I don't agree with her overall thesis that I feel sorry for Joffrey. Hell no. Um, but I do, I, I do have some sympathy for the. Well, it wasn't all his fault. I don't think it's all his fault, but if you look at his family, 
Nobody else is that much of an asshole. His mom, Cersei, his Come mom, on. yes, his mom is like that, but not nearly to the degree that Joffrey is. Joffrey does it for the sake of his own amusement. I don't think Cersei really did that. Cersei did it because people were working against her. Mm. Joffrey just takes a fucking glass of wine, pours it on Tyrion's head, plans in advance to humiliate him with a dwarf show. Mm-hmm. Like he's put a lot of thought into how he can humiliate. His uncle, and it's just not something that I ever saw Cersei trying to do. Hmm. And this is, you know, it's like I question whether it was to humiliate him, but you think in the la- from what we've seen, the only one that ever opposes Joffrey is not his father. Yeah, because it's I, I feel like I feel like old old Bobby, old Bobby B would have slapped him around a couple times too. Robert, yeah. Uh... Because he saw him beat yeah. a twat on several occasions, and he yeah. really gotten some smackings. Um, but the only one that really gave him anything what for was Tyrion. Mm-hmm. When Tyrion struck him several times, so yeah. I can buy that he in the engineered this whole thing as a slight to him, and particularly singled him out for cruelty. I think so, and and I think that's why I have very little sympathy for Joffrey. Is not because he's a product of his environment, which he partially is, but because he's made conscious decisions to just be an asshole. Yeah, but it's like one of those things where, you know, you hear about a a vicious dog that gets put down, and dogs are not born vicious. Mm-hmm. I believe that they're made vicious by people, and you always think, well, why don't they put? But on the other hand, it was a vicious dog that needed to be put down. So yeah, Joffrey's life was not one of peace and happiness. It was a life of torment and cruelty. So even from that basis, I can't. Feel bring myself to feel sorry mm-hmm. for him. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Sheem said, uh, "Shouldn't Loras be furious with Brienne since he wanted to avenge Rinley? I thought Jamie was going to try to broker a peace between the two, but he didn't even mention it. What do you think about that, Jim? What did Brienne do here that Loras would be furious at? He just, just she being nice up. to. Because remember, this is something we talked about last week with Marjorie: the fact that." Maybe that scene of them reconciling was to was to address people like Sheen that would say, you know, I, I guess we're trying we're supposed to read between the lines to say that he's talked to her sister. Her sister said, "Hey, I talked to Brian and everything's cool." Uh, I mean, she corrected mm-hmm. Joffrey. Uh, so, and and the other thing is, well, maybe there is still time for a confrontation. We're only the second episode in the season, for God's sakes. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, is there anything we see in the episode that says Loras isn't mad at Brienne? <laughs> Well, that's the other thing is show Loras does not seem like his shit is overly torn up about Renly's death. That, yeah, you're right. You're right. Whereas in book, Renly is, you know, almost swears an oath of chastity. He's like, you know, what? Hmm. Uh, I can't remember his quote, but it's like. Until he sees Oberon and then <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> right. Once Oberon licks his finger, it's boom. <laughs> But so I don't know. I, I, that could be a slight change that that, that just show show Loris was much more of a um, an ambitious person that wanted to attach himself to the king. Because even in in season mm-hmm. one, we see him pushing towards that. You okay. know, you can see them building the foundation of hey, you should be you, know, you should be the one the ones put your hand, your 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 crown in the ring, so to speak. Uh, Josh C said, it looks like a shot. We got to fly, uh, the dragon flying over to King's Landing was just a vision that Brandon had when warging into the white tree. Do you think that vision will come to fruition this season or in season five? More likely. Feels too early for this season. Uh, I think season five is more likely. 
mildly interesting. <laughs> uh, okay, from here on out, we're talking about murder speculation. All right, cool. I cannot guarantee none of these people have read the books. Okay. And I cannot comment on what's true and what's not because that wouldn't be fun. I so will speculate on what I'm is cool going to be and what is true. <laughs> I'm going to be mildly interested in all these takes. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to give anything away. Okay. But okay. these are people that claim they've not read the books and they've mm-hmm. seen the episode and they have questions. And Well, when your eyes widen like Brienne... I'm going to know. Got, I'm going to know. I got a much better poker face than Brian. Poker face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Luke P says, I think Tywin has to be involved in Joff's murder. He had two Valerian swords for his family, and I think he'd keep one for himself. Why would he give both away? Because he knew he'd get Joff's back by the end of the ceremony. <laughs> Tywin as hmm. a... Uh, I'm trying to think of a not racially offensive term for something giver. He's a... He's a boomerang giver. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Tywin has seemed to deal with Joffrey and have him on some kind of leash. It's a fairly long leash, but I think he can control him and manipulate him. I don't feel like Tywin would feel the need to take Joffrey out. Can you imagine? My... Like, let's say that Joffrey didn't die. Can you even imagine Tywin coming after him after this is all done. What do you mean coming after him? Uh, Trying to kill him? Not kill him. Spank him? Maybe. (laughs) I can imagine a literal spanking. Like, Uh, I can see Tywin having the Kingsguard hold him down, bare-ass naked, while he beats him with the broadside of Widow's Whale. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was seething throughout this whole thing. Could not believe that his family was being so shamed and dishonored by this boy's behavior yeah and that's my thing if we had seen Tyrion, joff might have gotten off easy by being being killed uh yeah if we had seen an episode like this and a a scene with joffrey being as much of a bastard and embarrassing his family as much as he did in this episode before and then maybe like a couple episodes later he was poisoned i think maybe we could make a case for tywin doing it but i think he hasn't done anything reckless enough for Tywin to be really seriously worried. And he's taken his quote-unquote advice, mm-hmm. uh, which has come in the form of chastising and humiliation, uh, to a large degree. So I, I think Tywin is not a likely candidate. All right. Moving on to William S. Uh, oh, that's my good buddy Will. Uh, I use his uh, Christian name. <laughs> Uh, for the murder suspects, I'd like to drop Sansa's name into the mix. If the Ooh. poison was in the cup, she's the only one who handled it out of view. I'm hesitant to submit that as a theory because Sansa's really been nothing but a whipping boy or slash girl since day one. But poison is a pretty passive-aggressive way to knock off someone. So there it is. The hmm. fool, uh, meaning Sir Dantas, is my number two contender. And I'd pull all the Tyrells off the list because killing the little shit before consummating the union would leave them without the queen hat. Mm. But in the end, who cares? The little fucker's dead, and I got almost <laughs> giddy watching his eyes bulge and blood spew. <laughs> on Jamie and Brienne, I'd like to submit that the attraction there is an interesting one. I think for Jamie, it's a relationship where she's almost like his conscious. She has all the sense of duty that Ned did, but because of her lower position and the time they spent together, Jamie sees that she represents part of what he once aspired to be, but does it in a way that is more noble than anyone he's been around. She's primarily as different from Ned in that she serves in her duty. 
but is compassionate despite what she knows about him. I feel that position is enhanced by her physical stature. Being bigger than everyone is kind of a throwback to Egyptian hieroglyph-style nobility. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. What do you think of the murder suspect? He's, uh, uh, he's Sir Dantas and Sansa, and he's off the Tyrells. Okay, so there is some supporting evidence for that, because when Dantas comes up... Before Joffrey chokes to death and says, we need to get out of here if you want to live, come on. Come on. He's got something to do with it. He has to. Otherwise, why would he say that to Sansa? Right? Well, I'm playing devil's advocate. Uh, yeah. What other reason do we see in this episode for him to come up and try to get Sansa well, out of Well, we there? know he feels, we, he feels somewhat indebted to her for saving his life. I'm just saying what events are transpiring that she would, her life would be in danger. The fact that uh, Cersei is call, calling for her husband to, you know, off with her head. But she says, uh, the fool comes up to her before that happens, like as Joffrey is choking. If he didn't have, if he didn't know that Joffrey wasn't just choking and was gonna die, I don't think that scene happens. That little, that little interaction. Very so well. I, he's super suspicious. Completely. Okay. I don't know that she is because she seemed oblivious. And when he comes up, she's like, Whoa, "What? Oh, we gotta go." I don't know. That's that, kind of her three modes, though. She's either excited about the prospect of kissing Joffrey. And getting yeah. lemon cakes, yeah. oblivious or extremely sad. True. <laughs> we haven't seen much of the the the, the former uh, Sands of late. Uh, what about her t- his takes? We we talked a lot about Jamie and, and uh, yeah. so I'm gonna leave those comments about her and Brienne to stand on their own. Robbie J said that the 3344 mark of the episode during the ceremony we get an ominous shot of four prominent wedding guests seated behind Marjorie just as the priest utters the words. Curse be he who would tear them asunder. Mm. Uh, I'm going to poison Robbie J, and his eyes bug out, and he's gasped for breath because we already considered this point. We did. That's what. That's my new. That's my new. My new thing. If I because I, I assemble the feedback, and I never know quite what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So if I start reading feedback that we've already considered, I'm going to say you got poisoned. You're going to let Robbie J eat pie. R- Robbie J, you just got fell victim to some dry pie. <laughs> uh, Anthony B says to me, the Bieber King's assassin. <laughs> do we think this is a point in the beaver king that's nice. uh, this is a good question though do we think it was the pie or the wine that did it because i think they're that pie was different... the pigeons we know that several dead ones <laughs> i don't they know that maybe the they, pie was... oh but do you not know you're right i don't know i don't know that <laughs> uh i feel like that's a good question though because certain people had access to the pie certain people had access to the wine and those are different sets of people yeah, so, those, I know I can't you, ask you. Yeah, but. don't fuck with pigeons is all I got to say. Mm, apparently. Um, Anthony B. says, To me, the Bieber King's assassination looks like a plot between Tywin, Cersei, and Jaime. They all have the most to gain from the situation with an uncontrollable Joffrey out of the way and a very controllable Tommen soon to be seated on the throne. Hmm. Uh, Tyrells are now minimized as Marjorie is no longer the consort. If that's the case, and Cersei was in on this, she did a hell of ice, a job acting like she wasn't. Ice cold. Yeah. Ice cold. And Jamie? Like both of them, I I don't know. I can't possibly see. Could you how buy it would him be as them. being could you buy this as a Tywin maneuver with Jamie being a pat uh, Jamie and Cersei being Patsies or Well, I already or went did, into how I don't think okay. that there's any reason for that. Okay. I mean if it came out that it was that I guess that's true. 
I guess I would I could buy it, but they need a strong reason why. All right. Inver M says I'm leaning more towards the Tyrells as the main culprits, but I'm still not ruling out Sir Dantas. Or any combination of yeah. Elena, Marjorie, Dantas, and Andor, all three. The reason I say so is, after Joffrey orders Tyrion to kneel, Marjorie breaks the tension by pointing to the pigeon pie, and Joffrey hands her his cup. Mm-hmm. She places on the table right next to Lady Elena. It's very mm. subtle and quick, but the two exchange a look. When, Jeff- when Joffrey is choking, Lady Elena is the first one to yell out, Help the poor boy! I have no idea what motivation the Tyrells would have to eliminate Joffrey since they hadn't consummated their marriage yet, and you would mm. think they would have nothing to gain and everything to lose. What happens to Marjorie? Does she have any power whatsoever? Who succeeds Joffrey? Cersei would have total control over, over him as opposed to Joffrey. Huh. Yeah, so I would say that they are likely candidates, but they haven't consummated that marriage yet. That's a weird play. Uh, it seemed to be be a high risk, high risk, high risk play. Like I, I don't know what's to gain if, from it. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to poison, why do it there? Why not wait a couple of days week, until yeah. he has a feast and then kill him? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I certainly think that Marjorie knows Joffrey really well and realizes what a bastard he is. And I use the bastard not in the sense of. The word that they use. Although he is that as well. He is that. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, maybe Marjorie realizes that this guy is no good for the kingdom, but it raises the question, why do it there? Hmm. Why do it at that time? I don't, that seems crazy to me. Uh, I really want to know, like, it, it seems like whoever did this used Dantas, used Donatos as their their messenger at least and is loyal to Sansa and that sheds light um or, or at least that puts into the spotlight uh Elena because she's really the only one who's been a friend to Sansa this entire time and has cared about Sansa and so if Elena knew what knew this was going down because she did it then she could tell Donatos to get Sansa out of there before the shit goes down all right. Who uh, else would want Sansa out of there? Uh, it, it, Dantis, I guess himself, would want her out of there. Maybe it's just him. All right, Matthew P. is repping your dry pie theory. It seems that everyone is leaping to the conclusion that it is the wine that killed Joffrey, but I'd actually mm. wager it was the giant pie. If you think about it, unless Tyrion somehow poisoned the new glass of wine or the fresh glass was poisoned off-screen when Joffrey briefly let it leave his sight, the entire picture would have to have been poisoned, which would have killed others as well. But Joffrey was the only person to eat any of the cake slash pie. He died before others even got a taste. Also, after his first bite, he had a distinct look of suspicion on his face that he holds for almost three full seconds while chewing. He then takes (laughs) a few subtle, deep, gasping breaths and yells for Tyrion to bring his wine, complaining that the pie is dry. Afterwards, stating, ah, good, needs washing down. Not the best (laughs) of metaphors, but the dead doves inside the pie after it was sliced open could also Mm -hmm. symbolize the lethality of the pie. Yeah. That's a good theory. I like that the I think the pie is the culprit here. The deadly DDP. It's the deadly dry pie. <laughs> the deadly uh, deadly DDP. The other question is, I guess, is there a kind of ceremony to this whole ceremony? <laughs> is there is there a ritual that goes on where Joffrey eats the pie first? Because I, if that's the case, then then you can make a really strong argument for it that they knew he would eat the pie first, versus like Marjorie, who could potentially have eaten the pie first. Um, that's she a had good it question. in her hand. I don't she have, cut it, or I don't she. Ha- 
Uh, yeah, I don't have anything but uh, Western, <laughs> our, our our present Western marriage customs yeah. to go on. Which yeah, same here. So okay, I, I think the dry pie theory is a good one. I like it. Uh, Tony T said, just before Joff makes Tyrion his cupbearer, Lady Tyrell approached Sansa at the wedding party's table. She touches Sansa's hair while talking about Rob. She then touches the necklace that Sansa's wearing at the 3255 mark of the show by the HBO Go counter. You can clearly see the necklace is out of place and now missing one of the pendants near Sansa's collarbone. So did Lady Tyrell pickpocket Sansa, or was this an oversight by the costume people on set? What the hell fell out of the pie after Joff hit it? When the servants picked up the massive pie, there was a wedge missing and something fell out. It looked like a bird head. Yeah, probably We know there's was. a lot of dead birds in there. Yeah. But there's a little smash cut to the inside of the pie where they either nibbled on the dry pie and got poisoned or the widow's whale uh, either or. <laughs> added a few more pigeon widows to its uh, list of whaleys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a pigeon head falling out is appropriate. Uh, what was the first half of that again? The fact that this, when um, Lady uh, Lady Olena approaches Sansa to commiserate with oh, her. Oh, with her necklace. She fusses kind of over her, and they're saying that uh, when huh. they show a close-up of the necklace, there's a pendant missing. I don't know if there's a pendant missing. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm sure people have looked at this a lot closer than I have. I rewound that scene many, many times to see if I could tell if there's supposed to be a symmetrical pendant on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, her hair is covering it. I can't tell. Mm. Um, I guess if I went back to previous episodes, I would be able to tell, but I, I didn't have time and I didn't have the inclination either to do that. So. All right. Uh, James H said, I work in post, but, but to what end, to what end? My question is like, this is the question pickpocket, the... not even pickpocket, pick neck, this girl, uh, ripping a pendant off of that necklace without her noticing. While fondling her hair seems very difficult, uh, even for someone with sleight of hand skills. And to what end? Why? Why take a pendant? That says nothing about the poisoning of the king. It says nothing about getting her out of there. What do you mean? I don't. I, I'm under the assumption that Elena told. Well, I think the implication uh, is that the, Dantos to get the gym was either the poison itself or a vial containing it. That this is something they worked out in advance. Yeah, that's just not oh, that she just stole the Dantos a gem. gave her the necklace with a gem full of poison. She goes up, she pulls the poison off, and she dumps it into a cup. I think that's what they're saying. Or into the pie. <laughs> or in the dry the dry pie. Oh man, that's uh that's something. That's really something. I don't know. That seems really far fetched. Alright. Um shall we move on to the next one? The final sure. Uh, James H. says, I work in post-production, and I do a lot of sound design for television. I notice there's a very subtle clink as Lady Olena walks back to her seat in front of Joffrey. It's a wide shot where Lady Olena moves from left to right as is briefly blocked by a juggler. If you listen to the soundscape of the scene, it's oddly quiet and normal. There's some low, uh, low crowd noises and sounds of flaming juggling. God, that, damn that flaming juggling. Just get the fuck out of my face with that flaming juggling. Let's throw gold at him. But then you hear a short, glassy clink. That's what it was. A- uh, Sir Aaron was there, and that clink was the gold coin hitting them in the skull. It might have been Jamie knocking over a glass with his hand. <laughs> There's at least three clinks per minute at this party. He was just, oh, excuse me, sorry. It's just one. 
Um, there's some low crowd noises and sounds of flaming juggling, but then you hear a, a short, glassy clink break the mood. You can also make the argument that it was just a toast somewhere off camera or in the crowd, but to me, it seems way too deliberate in an effect choice over a way too important a moment to not be the Queen of Thorns dropping a stone in a goblet. Ha! Huh. People are really harping on this Westerosi CSI, baby. <laughs> Sure. Uh, Enhance. Yeah. It's got me a little worried that some of these people might know a little too much. I don't know. I I didn't hear the clinking. Well, we had a lot, uh, a lot of feedback on this, and I called, uh, you know, the, the rules is uh, first first one to get a theory in gets gets it on the show, and this was the, the broadest selection of all the theories that I could to get. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know. I didn't hear the sound, and... I I feel like somehow Dantos and Elena are connected, and the fact that Dantos tries to get Sansa out of there feels like maybe Elena had something to do with it. But why? I'm not sure. All right. Well, that's all we got from the main section of the cast. Okay. To preserve your uh, spoiler uh, virginity. Uh, Although I, I think people... In the first couple seasons, they're referring to people as sweet summer childs, which was kind of uh, insulting. I've noticed that in the Game of Thrones wiki or uh, Reddit, they're taking the calling non-book readers the unsullied, which I think uh, <laughs> is a lot less uh, patronizing. To, prefer, to, to preserve your unsullied outlook, we're going to excuse you from the spoiler process. Okay. And uh, if you'd like to send us more emails... Uh, you can do so at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can always follow along with us and find out the latest information on when our shows drop um, and stuff of that nature at facebook.com slash baldmove and Twitter at baldmove. Baldmove, baldmove.com. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Anything else, Jim? Uh, no, that's it. We will see you this weekend for episode three on Sunday night. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Bald Move. I will see you in the spoiler section. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, Hill and Pain and Hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Valar to Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must die. Hey, welcome back to the spoiler section. We've dismissed Jim for the, from the room. It's just you and me. Some things I wanted to point out to our book readers is the fact that talk of Jon Snow being half star, half stark rather, and a threat, I think has interesting implications for people to subscribe to the Grand Northern Conspiracy Theory, which we'll be talking about if all goes well in a few weeks. It's basically a theory that the northern lords are uh, unified and some of the river lords to plot to put either Rickenstark or Jon Snow uh, as king of the north if not place him on the iron throne eventually but it recognizes that there is the possibility that Jon Snow is as dangerous as as a, a pure-blooded uh Stark and also, might be a hint about, you know, in the books, Rob legitimizes John and names him as his heir in a letter that is signed before 
a few of his lords. And people have wondered, you know, who who uh, the survived the Red Wedding might still know about that. Where is that letter? Is that going to come into play later on in the series? We'll have to see. The other one uh, that I want to talk about is Cold Hands, the character. It just doesn't seem like we're going to get around to him. I know that there's a lot of rumors about him not appearing in the series. Uh, a lot of people were still holding out hope that he would. But I feel like this vision uh, of the, the the brand got that the Blood Raven character, the the last screen seer, he can steer Bran right into his location wherever he wants, just using the Weirwood uh, network that uh, Bran has shown the ability to plug into. So I thought that was interesting and kind of hints on how the Double Ds are going to tell the story going forward. Let's get right into the spoiler feedback. Nathan P. said, this is in reference to the purple... Oh, talking about the... Um, the purple wedding, why they call it the purple wedding. We talked about the royal color purple. I think I forgot to mention the fact that people speculated that it was the color of Joff's face. But it's also a reference to the purple amethyst worn by Sansa Stark, which disguised the strangler poison, which was taken by Lady Olenna. She's seen playing with Sansa's hair and then added to his wine, the goblet uh, that he places right next to her. Thus, this is the stranger... Uh, this, as the Strangler said to go, uh, excuse me, thus as victims of the Strangler said to go deep purple color, it's another reason why the wedding is called purple. So there you go. Uh, Tyler S. also mentions uh, there's some interesting things that they're going uh, doing with Shay. I'm starting to fear that they aren't going to kill her off. I predict Cersei or Tywin will find her and she will testify at Tyrion's trial just like in the book, except now she'll be the tragic spurned lover instead of the gold-digging whore. Even if Tyrion finds her in Tywin's bed, Tyrion will not be justified in killing her in the eyes of most viewers. Worst case scenario, Tyrion and Shay reconcile, escape together, and she takes the role of Penny in future seasons. I am not a big fan of that theory because I am obviously not a big fan of Shay. Um, man. I also see the truth of your central argument, which is if she testifies against Tyrion the way he treated her in this episode, a lot of viewers are going to be shocked that uh, Tyrion could kill her. There, there, there's some brutality there. Uh, the other way it could go is you find out that uh, Tywin is strangling Shay. Uh, the Tywin's literally, instead of the grand reveal being that Tywin is a hypocrite, and has been horned up the whole time, or at least we're left to consider that. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people are talking about how Tywin might have made use of the uh, tunnels uh, of the hands quarters back when he was uh, serving for the Mad King, and the fact that one of those tunnels goes right to a whorehouse is kind of interesting, if true. But instead of him being a hypocrite, he actually is maybe motivated by rage. Or, you know, wanting revenge for his son and uh, strangles him there, which would then really make Tyrion uh, give him the motivation to be the, the Kinslayer, in addition to the motivation he has. It's arguable that Book Tyrion is kind of an asshole after this experience uh, with Shay and King's Landing, and the show might want to preserve a little bit of more viewer sympathy. And not have him murder, you know, uh, his father just because, uh, you know, he's mad at him taking his girlfriend. And I mean, they're, they're, 
I'm not saying book Tyrion's not justified. I'm just saying that he walks in and Tyrion's choking Shay or has killed Shay or has hung Shay as he swore he'd do after he testified against her. That would make Tyrion even more uh, righteous in the viewer's eyes. So I'm going to go like from the opposite angle from you there, Tyler, and say that they could do it that way. And I don't know that it has any repercussions on how we feel about Tywin. Because, you know, obviously we know what happens to him immediately after. But if they do it your way, which it seems likely, it I, I can't see how the viewers are not going to be a little seeing, seeing Tyrion in a more distasteful light. Which maybe that's what the Double Ds want. We'll have to see. I'm 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 interested in find out. I'm mildly interested to find out what happens. Uh, Brand of Theon are diving headfirst into Dance with Dragons territory. True. Either their storylines will greatly be expanded, or book readers are going to start getting spoiled soon. Uh, then again, Brand pretty much disappears from the books. The Double Ds could get him into the eye uh, to the Three Eyed Crow this season and put his story on hold indefinitely. And as few chapters as Theon has in Dance of Dragons, quite a bit happens, so they could definitely spend some time in Moat Kaelin and Winterfell. I'm very interested, because I'm kind of shocked at how much stuff that they're getting into with Dance and, and, and Feast. Uh, I really thought they'd get a, a year's worth of material out of both of those books, but it seems like we're only going to get a, a season and a half, roughly, out of both of the books combined, which is somewhat shocking. But... Yeah, and it just depends on what they do with Danny's story and how much they do with the whole Griff storyline and John Connington and Aegon. There's so much stuff up in the air and so much action left to resolve. You know, just going by the episode uh, titles, we're not going to get to the Oberon and the Mountain Duel until episode eight or nine. So there's still plenty of story left, but it does seem like they're going to plow through all of Feast and all of Dance of Dragons by the end of next season, which is kind of shocking. And if I was George R. R. Martin, I'd be kind of shitting my pants. Peter from Ireland says, After watching Olenna at the wedding stealing one of the jewels from Sansa's necklace, I couldn't help but think we're going to need a spinoff show about Olenna and Huel from Breaking Bad as they roam Westeros as master pickpockets. Indeed. And... <clears throat> I had a real, me and Jim had a kind of a spirited debate, especially since I couldn't really tell him everything about whether to treat those as spoilers or not, the the evidence from the show. And his argument is they're not really spoilers unless it's a book reader telling you, yeah, that's the right theory. And I tried to do a good job presenting four or five theories in the same, you know, kind of the same time. And not, you know, trying to play devil's advocate there a couple places pretty hard and not lend the weight to any one or the other. Um, you, you know, because it is it's all there on the screen. It's not something that's that's based on the future. We're just talking about stuff that's that's happened on screen. So I know that there's probably still some people that would consider that mild spoilers, which is why we eventually ended up just putting them at the end of the feedback section and warning people what we're going to talk about and hopefully they'll be happy with it. Anyway, moving on uh, to the tinfoil theory of the week. And I'm excited about this one. It's probably going to be a little shorter than the other ones, but I think it is a very exciting theory. It uh, is a lot, it was a lot harder for me to compile. And in fact, I'm hoping it doesn't come across as a jumbled mess because it's not so much a logical you know, this, and then this, and then this, so this. It's more like, here's a bunch of things, nebulous things, circumstantial things, 
that point to one conclusion. And then I'm going to have to talk about, uh, you know, the, the contra evidence as well. But let me lay it on you. Tyrion Lannister is secretly a Targaryen bastard born of the illicit union between the Mad King Aerys and Joanna Lannister, who's Tywin's wife. So, what's the evidence here? First and foremost, according to Sir Barristan Selmy, King Aerys II lusted after Joanna Lannister. Uh, that ca- that's something that caused friction between the king and his hand. Uh, we know that they had a falling out of sorts, and eventually... Tywin came and sacked King's Landing and killed his, murdered his whole family. Uh, but this all began at the wedding of Tywin to Joanna. Eris drunkenly japed about how it was a pity that the first night tradition was banned. Uh, first night, of course, is something we see like in the movie Braveheart. Uh, they, uh, Roose Bolton talks about it in the books where basically the Lord of the land uh, gets the first right uh, when anyone, when any man marries a woman in his realm, he gets the right to have, uh, you know, to deflower her first or have a first go at her. Uh, m- mainly apocryphal. I don't know that this actually was a right in the real world. It seems like it's designed to piss people off. But anyway, uh, he so he joked about that, and uh, Sir Barristan sensitively says he took certain liberties in the bedding ritual when the men at the feast had to disrobe the bride. Then in Marine, uh, when D- uh, Danny asks Sir Barristan about her father and whether there's a woman he loved better than his queen, Sir Barristan replies, not loved, perhaps wanted is a better word, but, and he trailed off, it was only kitchen gossip, the, wh- the whispers of washerwoman and stable boys. So this sets the phase that, or sets, sets the idea that if, if, Eris had the means and the opportunity that he would either force himself upon uh, Joanna, but we also know that before he went total targ crazy, that Eris uh, was actually a very charming uh, a man as well. So some people speculate that this might have been a willing union because Tywin is completely whipped by Joanna and she had a lot of power over him. It could be that, uh, you know, she also put the. Uh, the the horns on him as well. She cuckled and cuckled hid to him. So some other evidence in the the Game of Thrones novelization, one of the chapters of Jon Snow from his POV, he describes Tyrion uh, thusly. Said he has one green eye and one black eye that peered out from under a length of uh, length fall of hair so blonde it seemed white. A couple things here. Blonde hair, we know, is a consistent Lannister trait, as well as the green eyes. But platinum blonde hair, this white gold hair, really only seems to be within the Targaryen genetics. And it seems unlikely that the cousins Tywin and Joanna would both somehow be carriers of this Targaryen gene. As far as his eyes, you could see, you know, one being green, one being black. Uh... Targaryens have violet eyes, purple eyes. However, we also know from the Duncan Egg Chronicles that Aegon, uh, who's the egg in the Duncan Egg storyline, was described as having eyes so dark purple that they appeared black and less in bright light. Now, Tyrion is also described as having a very jutting forehead and a prominent brow, 
which would imply that maybe his eyes are more or less shadowed all the time. It could be that people are mistaking this black eye or this purple or a deep purple eye for a black eye. And people are saying that would literally make him half Targaryen. Uh, so that's one piece of physical evidence. Uh, also, there is some interesting information again in the same chapter where John talks to Tyrion. And I'm going to quote that here. Uh, and this is from Tyrion's point of view, uh, the second chapter from T- of Tyrion's point of view. It says, The boy has absorbed all this in silence. He had the stark uh, face, if not the name, long, solemn, guarded, a face that gave nothing away. Whoever's mother had been, she had left little of herself and her son. What are you reading about, he asked. Dragons, Tyrion told him. What good is that? There are no more dragons, the boy said with an easy certainty of youth. So they say, Tyrion replied. Sad, isn't it? When I was your age, I used to dream of having a dragon of my own. You did, the boy said suspiciously. Perhaps he thought Tyrion was making fun of him. Oh yes, even a stunted, twisted, ugly little boy can look down over the world when he's seated on a dragon's back. Tyrion pushed the bearskin aside and climbed to his feet. I used to start fires in the bowels of Castle Rock and stare at the flames for hours, pretending they were dragonfire. Sometimes I'd imagine my father burning, at other times my sister. Jon Snow was staring at him, a look equal parts horror and fascination. Tyrion guffawed. Don't look at me that way, bastard. I know your secret. You've dreamt the same kind of dreams. There's a couple ways you can interpret this, right? One is the dreams... Uh, specifically that he shared with John are the ones where he wants revenge against his family. And we see in the previous episode, and we know from John's point of view that there was some jealousy and some anger and some bitterness and resentment about his bastardry. But another way to look at it is maybe Tyrion was literally being true and that they both dreamed of, of uh, riding dragons and having dragon dreams, which is another Targaryen trait. We see Tyrion, you know, as a young boy, uh, having these fantasies of being on a dragon, riding a dragon. Could that be indicative of his Targaryen blood and his desire to, you know, be more Targaryen than Lannister? Also, in A Dance with Dragons, again in the second Tyrion POV chapter, He talks about, uh, reminisces about his youth. He says, when he was still a lonely child in the depths of Castle Rock, he often rode dragons through the nights, pretending he was some lost Targaryen princeling or Valerian dragon lord soaring high o'er a field and mountains. Once when his uncles asked him what gift he wanted for his name day, he begged them for a dragon. It wouldn't need to be a big one. It could be little like I am. His uncle Jerrion thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. But his uncle Tygut said, the last dragon died a century ago, lad. That seemed so monstrous, monstrously unfair that the boy had cried himself to sleep that night. So there again, circumstantial physical evidence, circumstantial psychological evidence, perhaps seen as foreshadowing on Martin's part. But let's talk about some similarities to Eris's other offspring. First of all, we know Tyrion very much is very bookish, nerdy, uh, and he shares that quality with Rhaegar. Rhaegar also was described in his youth as very bookish. Something that Viserys told Danny is that Targaryens are very hearty, that they're resistant to heat, uh, they don't burn, 
they don't get sick like common folk. We see in the books that Danny has this in spades. You know, she doesn't catch fire when and die on Drogon's pyre. She doesn't come down with the pale mare, even though she spends a lot of time cavorting with sick people. And Tyrion uh, also shares this trait. We see him fall into the ruin, wrestling with someone inflicted with the grayscale, and he comes up unscathed, not affected. Poor John Connington just barely reaches in with his hands for a few seconds and gets afflicted. Now, there's a lot of people to tell you correctly that Viserion was, or Viserius was a dumbass and had a lot of facts wrong about a great many things, including his own blood. A lot of people point out that Targaryens did, in fact, die. Uh, some of the Duncan Egg Chronicles and other works talk about a a, a spring sickness that befell the realm one year, and several people in the Dra uh, Targaryen dynasty died. So, and also you got the vagarities of disease, right? Sometimes, you know, Spanish influenza, a lot of people died, but a great many people didn't. And this, a lot of people that were in the same families and shared close living spaces and doctors and nurse treating people didn't get sick. It's not an automatic death sentence for, for sickness and disease, but... This, uh, what's called on the internet, the, the tinfoil boards, is Targaryen super immunity. If true, and we also know that Martin doesn't quite follow the rules of genetics and science to a T. I mean, Robert Baratheon, all of his kids basically had the same hair and eyes. That is wildly improbable to the point of being impossible. But he wanted to be that, and he's like, you know, you can't really get out Punnett squares and draw up the genetics. Maybe this uh, super immunity is something that's genetic that's passed down to uh, to offspring as well. One other uh, commonality, uh, Rago, which was Danny's stillborn child, was born stunted, twisted, and deformed. In fact, uh, Mirimaz Durr, which I think is how you pronounce the, uh, the witch's name, uh, described him as thus. He said he's monstrous, twisted. I pulled him out myself. He was scaled like a lizard, blind with leather wings like the wings of a bat. When I touched him, his skin fell from his bones. Inside, he was full of grave worms. So that's pretty bad. I also seen, and, and maybe the black magic that was at work during, during uh, Danny's birth caused this to happen. Made this transformation to some half-dragon baby. But also, she could just be exaggerating or making stuff up. Or we could have a baby with mild deformities and she's overreacting. We saw a similar thing, interestingly enough, with Tyrion himself. Uh, a description that Prince Oberon, of all people, gives of Tyrion because he was excited to go see him when he was a baby because he heard all these crazy things about him. And uh, he tells Tyrion, uh, Tyrion wants to know, well, what did you hear about me? And he starts to tell him, he said, you were said to have a tail, a stiff, curly tail like a swine's. Your head was monstrously huge, we heard half again the size of your body, and you've been born with thick black hair and a beard besides, an evil eye and lion's claws. Your teeth were so long you could not close your mouth, and between your legs were a girl's privates as well as a boy. So, we know that all that is not literally true about Tyrion. He was a dwarf, and, you know, was, was stunted as far as his physicality, he had the mix-match eyes, but he wasn't a monster, he didn't have a tail, didn't have... You know, giant fangs or lion's claws. So there's precedent in... It could be that uh, this uh, Durr woman 
was just misinformed or exaggerating to effect. But if he did have some kind of physical deformity, or if, say, he was just born as dwarfism and she's making it out to be worse than it was, just like the the legends that were coming out of the uh, Castle Rock at the time of Tyrion's birth, this is another thing that, that the uh, Targaryen uh, descendants would have in common. There's also Tywin himself. Why does he hate Tyrion so much? And this is, you know, goes back from the fact that, you know, he said he murdered his wife, but, you know, why why is there so much hostility there? And we see in the show, he says, I cannot prove that you're not mine. In the book, he outright says, you are no son of mine. Now, he's got cause for saying this. The last thing he said was when Tyrion was murdering him. But we still, it's pretty strong evidence, you know, if you just go straight from a textual reading. Uh, evidence against, you know, Tyrion's parentage in the book is never once disputed, other than by Tywin himself in these moments of kind of distress. Uh, in fact, uh, Lady Ginna, who is Tywin's sister, was talking to Jamie about, you know, which child was most like Tywin. She says, Jamie, he said, tugging on his ear, Sweetling, I've known you since you were a babe at Joanna's breast. You smile like Garion and you fight like Tig. And there's some of Kevin in you, else you would not wear the cloak. But Tyrion is Tywin's son, not you. I said so once to your father's face, and he would not speak to me for half a year. Men are such thundering great fools, even the sort who come along once in a thousand years, speaking of Tywin. So Tywin's own sister see, says that Tyrion, if not in looks, at least in disposition and mental faculties and cunning, is Tywin's son. Now, tellingly, that doesn't have anything to do with genetics. That could be entirely upbringing and his book smart, his education. So I don't think that's conclusive proof, no. A lot of people say that if Tywin did know of Joanna's liaison with Eris, that that would explain his enmity against Tyrion, and that he would not want him to inherit Castle Rock at all, at all costs, because if it ever came out that he was a bastard, then, you know, the whole family could lose out on, on uh, Castle Rock. But, you know, there's also the possibility that Tywin didn't know. And there's also a possibility that this is all bullshit, and these are all his legitimately, legitimately born children. There's also another interesting theory that says that uh, Cersei and Jaime are Targaryens. Uh, same deal, that uh, Eris uh, got them onto Joanna. They're born. That explains their blonde hair, explains their proclivities to want to sleep with each other, because that's a Targaryen trait, apparently. Uh, so they've got this theory that Tywin is either wittingly or unwittingly raising this entire brood of cuckoo-type Targaryens uh, for Eris in his stead. Now, where is all this going? Well, Tyrion is one of the common theories for being one of the three heads of the dragon. If the R plus L equals J theory is true, that would make John Targaryen, Daenerys obviously Targaryen, Tyrion, if he's a Targaryen, that would be something that would kind of unify them all as the three heads of the dragon that was pro the prophesied and promised that so intrigued Rhaegar. Something interesting else that all three have in common. John Snow, when he was given birth to, killed his mother. Daenerys, when she was born, 
Her mother also died in childbirth. Tyrion Lannister was born, killed his mother during childbirth. There's some interesting parallels to the Azora High uh, story here as well. Uh, that's the story about uh, the man who forged Lightbringer, the sword. He first, you know, he worked on the sword for, I'm going to get the days wrong, but 30 days and 30 nights, went to quench the sword in a bucket of water and a sword, sat, sword shattered. Then he worked on the steel sword for 60 days and 60 nights. He went to quench it into a lion's, uh, in a lion's chest, a live lion's chest, shattered apart. Worked for it 90 days and 90 nights, then realized that he had to pay the ultimate sacrifice, quenched it in his uh, wife's uh, chest, which I believe her name is Nisa Nisa. And it finally glue, you know, started glowing as if on fire, and that was the weapon that was able to turn back the long winter and defeat the others. A lot of people are saying that that symbolizes all three of these people's uh, mothers dying, that they literally are collectively Lightbringer. Uh, that also ties into Three Heads of the Dragon. The Three Heads of the Dragon are Lightbringer, and these three with their dragons are going to be what turns uh, the tide of the battle against the others. I think it's an interesting theory. Uh, kind of on the fence on this one. Lots of circumstantial evidence. Lots of what you could see foreshadowing. If GRRM thought he kind of shot his wad with the L plus R equals J theory, then I could see that maybe he wants to launch this uh, a plus J equals T to give the back nine of the golf course, which is his Westerosi series, a little bit of juice as well. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I've enjoyed it as well, doing all the research. And if you got any recommendations on theories or any ones that you've come up with yourself, uh, send them in to me at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com, and I look forward to talking to you next week.